A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That point would be through chapter 86. So if you haven't uh, haven't re-met a dark, mysterious individual, turn back now. This is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. So I'm doing things a little bit differently today for the first time. I did it for a, sort of a test earlier, but I've turned my desk into a standing desk for the time being. So I am standing in front of my microphone instead of sitting. Hopefully this will keep me a little bit more directly on. I don't know. I won't like swivel in my chair and play around as much. So hopefully that comes through a little bit, but it should be fun. Should be a good time. Yeah. Fun to fun to give it a try for sure. I mean, why not? Right. Mm -hmm. I definitely grabbed a second like uh, a mouse pad as like Mm -hmm. my beer placing thing. So I don't get like clicks and clinks and stuff. So that's in front of me. I totally bought a second mouse pad specifically for that for my little side table over here that i drink from so i feel you there yeah absolutely necessary especially because i'd never want to you know don't want to risk spilling something on the laptop of course so i i feel you dude we've got so much to talk about today (sighs) so much so that for everyone's for forewarning we are not going to be doing the weekly question this week but we will be doing it next week um so feel free to make sure that you send those in if you haven't heard it before what's an earned death What's your favorite earned death and why? So that's the question. Uh, We'll be talking about it in the last episode. So Mm -hmm. with that, today is our 13th episode covering Dark Age by Pierce Brown. And we are going to be tackling, as PJ said, chapters 78 through 86. But before we do that, let's talk about what we're drinking. What are you having? I have an old fashioned or I don't know, kind of. Yeah, it's an old fashioned. It is two ounces of Four Roses bourbon, an ounce of simple syrup, a dash of Angostura bitters, and a dash of orange bitters, and then I have a cocktail cherry for garnish. I don't have any Excellent. oranges, so I didn't I didn't have like an orange peel to put in there. I wish I would have, but that's what I've got. Following that up, I have an Oktoberfest, because recently on one of our Patreon shows, PJ's Symposium of Media and Whimsy, we tackled a beer. We did a beer episode and sort of a style comparison and drink along. One of those beers was Oktoberfest. But moreover, I have a shit ton of extra beer in my fridge. So <laughs> True. I'm just kind of grabbing whatever's in there. Um, yeah. A. Anger, Oktoberfest, Marzen should be, should be decent. I don't, I, it's not the, the best Oktoberfest that I've ever had, but it's solid. It's a little bit on the sweeter side, um, but, you know, it's still good. Still an Oktoberfest, still a Marzen. So, yeah. What about you, Crossin? What have you got? I am drinking a Tom Collins uh, made with end of days gin. It's somewhere between a Tom Collins. Let's be real. It's somewhere between a Tom Collins and a gin tonic. Um, It technically lives in like no man's land because I use tonic and the gin and simple syrup and 
lime juice like a, just a little bit of course generally you serve it with lime wedges so it's somewhere between a tom collins and gin and tonic so we'll call it a, a gin collins but yeah really i mean it's really solid what what else can you say it's just tom it's just tonic good. tom tonic yeah tom tonic's a little bit catchier so we'll go with that <laughs> and then i am following that up with a perpetual outrage from new anthem brewing here in Wilmington. Uh, this is one of the other beers that I also bought for the symposium. And there's a bunch of them in my fridge. And I wanted to drink one. So here we are. Now we're now we're drinking those beers for the next eternity. Because there are so many of them. <laughs> yeah. We went through small, six beers. Small legion of beers in my fridge now. Yeah. Which means I have to have six of the two-hearted. I have to have six of the Guinness. I have to have six of the... It was just... Yep. There's a lot of beer in my fridge now. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. My fridge so, is full. With that, let's move into last week's predictions here, PJ. This is our penultimate episode, right? So there are a number of these that get paid off right now that we've been uh, we've been hanging on to for a long time. So mm-hmm. you ready? Yep. All right. How will the rest of the Republic react to Darrow's forces? Will there be any additional support? You said. I think that any support that comes will come from agents of the syndicate as traps. So. What's interesting here is the way that you phrased that, right? I think that any support that comes will come from agents of the syndicate. If no support comes, does that mean that you're technically right? Mm-hmm. How technical do we want to get here? <laughs> That's It's well, fairly I mean, fucked <laughs> reading it. So I guess the spirit of my answer was that there was going to be support, but it was going to be a trap. Mm-hmm. And there was no support, full stop. So, yep, I think I'm wrong. I think so as well. I think you're wrong. Okay. Suffer. <laughs> the next one. Who's the inside man that Kavak sends? Gilrastis. Gil Gilrastis. And that, my friend, is very wrong. Might <laughs> I say, wrong. the no PJ zone lit up when you made that prediction. They're like, lol. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't be any more wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so my my idea was that he was going to be like a a more accomplished fighter and more well trained and like kind of reveal himself as a bigger asset than he already is, mm. um, if necessary. So and mm. instead he's just you know just prefers the old caller as it were. I mean, really, the only reason that he changed sides was because of Lysander and the damage that well he attributes it to Darrow, but the damage of the Storm Gods done by um why can't uh, I Orion. Orion, thank you. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was that was bad. So yeah, absolutely. Like this one when you said that, I think I resisted every urge to like laugh out loud. <laughs> but here we are. Now we're here. Yep. All right. The next question is: Does Darrow sniff out Lysander's stank? You said. <laughs> this is what I wrote. <laughs> No, I think Lysander will reveal himself after it's no longer advantageous for Darrow to know. Shit's coming down anyway. He does. He he explicitly does, but also it was basically too late anyway. I yeah, both cases are kind of correct, right? Like But I said Lysander will reveal himself. Well uh and yeah, I, yeah like, there's no my my intention for that was like a haha, I'm Lysander as uh, opposed James to Darrow like villain yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is me, Lysander. <laughs> I've been here the whole time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think that's a drink for you as well. Yep. 
Yep. <laughs> Next up here, Lysander knows about the project Gil is working on from some comments along with his own deductions while looking out the telescope. What does he do with that information? I think he'll be thinking up ways of using it against Darrow, collaborating with Gilrasis on what to do and how to navigate lying about the progress of the project. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, right? That's like, pretty spot on, I think. Yeah. I, I I definitely thought that, you know, when you said this, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, pretty much exactly what it is. And I'm like, okay, so how do you think that he's the back door for the cat for Cavax, right? Like, how do you think that he's the guy who's supporting Darrow if you've got, I think this, you were so in tune with this? This was later, though. I think it was the week after. Yeah. And you know as well as I do that I don't remember my predictions week to week. Oh, I know. That's (laughs) that's half of what I have to do is just nudge you to remember your predictions. (laughs) Um, But yeah, absolutely. This is definitely one that You can't make me, Crossland. You can't make me. I will. I'll definitely drink for this one. Um, What's really funny here, too, is that in the question, it says the project Gil is working on when, in fact, it's Glyh. We we say Gil Rostis, but it's Glirosties, 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 Glirosties. We we got called out on that. You got we called out quite a, a couple bit. of times <laughs> in multiple discords, in three different discords among fans. They're like, because I think I mentioned hearing it said said that way in the audiobook and listening to it again and listening to more of it. Like, absolutely not. That's not how he said it. <laughs> but also, I listen at two times speed. So, mm-hmm. and I, I'm often like working or working on homework or doing stuff like while I'm just listening to it for God knows how many times through. So sometimes I just mishear things and mm-hmm. I, I, they, they stick with me, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize. I absolutely was wrong in that. And thanks for calling me up. I appreciate it. I'm also supporting you fully in the, no, I say it that way too. My bad <laughs> camp. <laughs> I'm not doing any better here. So, <laughs> oh man but um some some narrators more than others on the audiobooks sound fucking ridiculous at two times speed (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure that's gonna be insane i was listening to it in the car kaylin was in the passenger seat she has decided she is decidedly not going to read the series she started it it's not not her bag not her not her deal so i'm like well can i listen to this and I put it on. She's like, how the fuck can you understand what's going on here? Like, I can't understand any word. So, yeah, two times is really fast. I can only do I can only do like a fast re-listen. And even that's at like maybe one and a half if I've already read the thing. Two times is great for actually reading it while listening to it. And like that just cements things for me. Mm, fair enough. So. With that, let's get into the chapters, man. We got a we got a decent amount to go through here, even though it's only like 40 pages. Like, there's a lot to talk about. So, mm-hmm. we start this week as the start of part four, Pride. The quote is, at the beginning of the chapter, the world is a maze without a center. Become it or be forever lost. Selenius Aulun. Uh, we actually got a question about this from a listener. So we're going to just save talking about this to the end to kind of match up with the question. So we're going <laughs> to we'll wait until then to address it. But there's a quote so that everyone remembers it. We'll reread it once we get there. Yeah. So with that, let's head into chapter 78. Lysander, a visitor. 
We open up this week with Lysander working out the finer details of his plan, all of the careful preparations laid in the setup through Exeter, giving the scrutiny, you know, that he's been under from Darrow and the Howlers during his stay at, I wrote it as Gil Rostis. it's Gleerastes. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they part after a nerve nerve filled meal as we know and it's almost a somber note between the two acknowledging what is yet to come you actually got me to like bend over and start laughing <laughs> so my head you against also the wrote desk. it that way oh i write it that way every time <laughs> honestly Fuck. google or google doc spreadsheet doesn't even call it wrong <laughs> no, like not it doesn't underline it like it's a wrong word it's capitalized though maybe that's why no this one's capitalized it, yep oh man yeah <laughs> it's is just it, recognize it it's how like, is it yes, actually spelled can i see this gli instead of gil it's gli god that's some <laughs> that's some black magic bullshit right there that's not how it was spelled in the earlier book <laughs> it, de- it definitely was but we're just fools <laughs> anyway <laughs> But obviously there's the Neil with the somber note and, you know, kind of acknowledging that they're, you know, they might not see each other ever again at this point and mm-hmm. sort of what Glorostes is going through or going to do. God, I'm not going to say it right. I'm just trying. No, I'm not. I'm trying my best, man. <laughs> Glearists. Glearists. <laughs> That's not right either, I think. No, of course it's not. Glorostes, I think, is. Glorostes, yeah. That sounds right. I think. I think. I am not 100% certain, but that's my belief at this point. For any of you that want to tell me I'm wrong, do it. Still do it, but know that I am not fully confident in myself. There was the strange, unsettling nature that Lysander describes of glee-raced smile. (laughs) When he he knows it's not a genuine smile. They barely touch mm-hmm. their food. There's like a sense of relief when it gets taken from them, having not touched it. It's it's just a strange, awkward, awkward setting, you know? Yeah, it, it very much does have a kind of awkward tone to it because obviously they can't, you know, speak in a, a real way. Like there's no way for them to, you know, talk truthfully. And so there's just kind of... It's just nothing. And that's why neither of them eat because they both know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, this almost seems more indicative of, you know, this is almost as much of a sign as the sort of slip up that Darrow catches later in its own way. Right. Yeah, definitely. Lysander, though, from that moment, uh, returns to his room to look at the gift that was left by Glorostes, as well as to extract the monitor spike that was in him. The greens, uh, some of the greens that were previously talking in the wine cellar, were able to hijack the feed temporarily to uh, display some of the previous videos, basically, for a temporary situation so that he can execute his plan. He's given the horn of the Hippodrone uh, with a simple note saying, this summons legions as well as some standard gear when there is a knock at the door that interrupts him. So, um, one, one comment. Did he extract the monitor spike here? Yes. Yeah. In the room. I I thought it just mentioned that he had removed it with a knife and it was in the library. No, I think the video was happening in the library. I'm pretty sure he extracted it right then and there. Okay. Either way, not, not super. doesn't matter too much, but, um, through this this entire thing, and specifically through the first time I read through all this, I was thinking there was a lot more to the horn than just kind of a significant history 
I was thinking it was basically like an actual panic button of sort. Like mm-hmm. if you blow into it, it automatically sends a distress signal that like calls legions to you, something like that. Um, and that was, that was a really distracting thing, like always on my mind on my first read through until he actually used it, um, in the preparation. Yeah. I, I definitely thought it was something more, uh, how would you describe it? You not Little ceremonial. Hint. Yeah. You know, I think the big, the reason why here and kind of thinking about it the way that you are, I definitely understand it on the first read through and thinking about kind of it being, you know, kind of a critical, like an oh shit button of sorts. Mm-hmm. But the other part of this is that like they weren't able to talk at dinner. And so this is kind of Gil Rosti's way of saying that, like, I am behind you. Like, I f- understand what you're doing and I support it and call forth everyone else who will support you as well. Okay. If that makes sense. Like that's, that's the way that, you know, I read it at this point, but I can definitely understand, you know, this summons legions, especially given that it's a title of a chapter later, you know, Mm -hmm. it does seem to have that sort of implication, which makes sense. Right. So obviously the interruption that happens is that of Alexander Lysander's cousin is here with Rona, uh, but obviously he doesn't know that quite yet at this point, and so he is just here to share a uh, drink with him and show Rona the library before they leave, because it also has the excellent view of the water colossus and everything else, you know, the the beauty of all of Gil Rosti's work. So it's um, that's that's of course what happens, but I think his read on Rona when he runs into her again here is really aggressive, given kind of his he he ended on a semi positive and kind of ashamed note when he met her the first time when he was being interrogated, but obviously he's still referring to her as a child soldier, which is completely incorrect, but also easily the most degrading and spacious thing I think he's ever said on the pages here. He's just so derisive about her and dismisses her as nothing more than a simple zealot. Yeah, I I think it's it's important to point out yet again that they are the same age. Like they are Mm -hmm. both 20 years old, right? Yep. I'm pretty sure we've established that. Like they are the same age. Yes, Um, for sure. But it is it is kind of ridiculous how how much he's evolved, I guess, in his um in his way of reading some of the low colors and reds and her and the spacism as we've been calling it mm-hmm. has really been building in him. Like beginning, beginning of iron gold. I didn't get this read off of him at all. You know, like it, it has yeah. become more and more and more about gold superiority rather than gold shepherdship. Yes, I definitely think so. And I think that there's something to be said about the experience in the Ladon changing him. But the first change that happens is the one near the end of Iron Gold when he's like, I can break from kind of Cassius's mold now that he's gone and become, you know, a man of choice, a man of action. And then he, you know, isn't really going through and isn't doing anything. So he hasn't really changed. and He's still scholarly. Then he goes through the punishment of the Ladon and then he's making decisions finally being like, oh, shit, I have to make decisions. And now <laughs> it's just gotten worse. Yeah. He's just doubled down. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's it's not something that was it was something that was there in Iron Gold, but it was not as prevalent. Like it was it was something that he would say or think. But even then, like the the low colors, the other low colors on the Vindabona, 
haunt him like in his dreams he he thinks about how he could have saved them and that's more like you said i think it's a great comparison like he was about shepherding and that was a big thing but now it's just like oblique hatred for you know these i I mean at least they're the rebellious colors i guess and maybe that's a part of the reason why but i still i i don't think it it obviously doesn't stretch much further than that it's yeah just just bad Mm -hmm. damn spacists damn fucking spacists just ridiculous but alexander of course is so happy to be spending time with his friend compadre fellow escapee from the fear night and it just fucking sucks man like once you know what happens reading this is so fucking awful because you can tell the way that alexander is talking around him and kind of being playful that he meant to like come out here and like celebrate in a way and you know spend some time with Cato because he doesn't assume anything, you know, is wrong or bad about him. He's truly, you know, been deceived by his entire Lysander's entire act. And, you know, especially in the way that he talks and you know, he's kind of, I don't know, it's, I would call it like a lightly fr- flirtatious or charismatic attitude here. He reminds me a lot of Cassius. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that up until the wink when he like winks at him and hands him the bottle. I was really thinking it was, something more aggressive and uh almost like talking down to a prisoner and then Mm. then there's the wink and wink wink nudge nudge all that like definitely more of a sarcastic like hope your book was super important you dick like shit like that and like that's something that Mm -hmm. you and i would say to each other right Uh, right if either of us made us wait for one another to do something Mm mm-hmm like weekly waiting to read a book yeah (laughs) you dick anyway um it's definitely sort of a brotherly tone that comes across which Mm -hmm. is really heartbreaking (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. oh man fucking just ugh. i i I do agree with you though on the brotherly tone for sure i think that's why it does remind me of cassius like right at the beginning of of red rising right like just right off the bat when he's slapping darrow on the back and like talking about him and asking what you know teams he likes what sports team he likes and saying they should go to Aegea and whatnot it it just reminds me of that same sort of scene in camaraderie and friendship so yeah man it only gets worse in a second we aren't even there yet but jesus fuck pup Mm. one no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, all right so with that we move into chapter 79 darrow bad blood we enter the chapter with the fear knight still strapped into his chair being drugged to hope to make him more amenable to giving up details however he's basically completely unaffected but something is definitely going on and this is definitely more conjecture than it is anything else but i think what darrow and Screwface are seeing in the fear knight right now is him using the mind's eye is that is that your assumption as well? Do you do you feel that way? I absolutely. That's exactly what I assumed. Um, and the fact that there's not more explanation about it and like no more lingering on that sort of thought makes me feel like that's the only right way to look at it. Like if it, if there was something new to it or something different, I think he would have kind of spent more time talking about mm-hmm. it. But it was just enough to say, all right, something weird's going on. We know it's probably the mind's eye. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. It seems it seems the most the most clear cut answer, and especially given the conversation that he has with Lysander about like stop it, I can do that too. You know, like 
way back when, you know, back when he was in the cave, um, one would assume that this is kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Glad, glad that you're on the same page there. Yeah, I was I'm like, with you. Totally with just you. Be me. Yeah. So the next little thing here, of course, uh, on that same page is a poem in Latin called the Priapia, uh, which is written by an ancient poet named Catullus. And the, that poem that Atlas quotes to Darrow and Darrow interprets is a very, very, very rude, rude poem. <laughs> um, it is it is very old, but Darrow brings it up in Old English, which still leaves it kind of hard to understand. I did look up a uh, full t- full context, like modern English equivalent of this. So I'm going to read it here. But if you guys want to skip this because it is so aggressive just skip 30 seconds and I'll be done. <laughs> Ready? Yep. You'll get ass raped, thief, for the first time. If you're caught again, I'll face fuck you. Should you try a third incursion just to suffer both together, I'll give you a fuck and a fellatio in sequence. What in the ever living fuck? Like, I think I you mean, read I, that last line wrong. I think you said, I'll give you instead of you'll give me. Oh, you'll give me. I did. Yeah, right. You're right. You'll give me. You'll give me a fucking inflation in sequence. Yeah, Ugh. it yeah. is. I mean, and like I, I went and I like looked up a couple of the words because I was like, really? Is that is that what it is? And you know, roommate and pedicate are you know fucked up old English words that I had never read before and did not understand. And um, you know, this is this is fucked. Yeah, I had no idea what was going on in that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, sure, that sounds. Bad based on Screwface's response of, I'm going to kill that man. Yeah, at this point, yeah, that's absolutely the right response from Screwface. Um, but I didn't I didn't do any looking it up. I'm like, Cross will tell me. So thank you for being my researcher. <laughs> oh, that's that's totally fair. Um, you know, and I there's probably some context that it's like, okay, let's think about like the first time that something happened and the second time and like, you know, all of these different moments, but it's like He's clearly just trying to push buttons at this point, saying, like, you can't break me. And I'm just sitting here, you know, regardless of what you do to me, I'm going to get back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is interesting for Atlas, who feels resigned when he was talking to Lysander, but obviously has to put up that psychological warfare front now that he's engaged in combat again, you know? Yeah. And this is this is psychological warfare for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Darrow is reasonably, of course, still preoccupied with thoughts about Cato, Al, Vitruvius because of Fear's capture and all of the circumstances that encompass that. Thraxus interrupts Dar- Thraxa, not Thraxus. Thraxa interrupts Darrow's focusing on the recordings, throwing down a couple of fish pies under the table for the two of them to eat, and they properly skirt around the details of Daxo's death and Mustang's apparent demise as well. I find this a strange but kind of real conversation, given our understanding of Thraxa as this very cold machine-like killer what would you make of it first of all i have to say fucking fish pies man <laughs> i know like, what the <laughs> fuck is a, I, uh, oh god a fish pie gross i mean i'm sure i'm sure it's all they could do i'm sure i'm sure it's i'm sure there exists good fish pies i've never seen one i've never seen a bad one either though so i don't know what they, they just sound terrible so I'll try it. Fair, um, fair if point. If presented yeah. with a fish pie, I'll give it a shot. But 
man, that doesn't sound appealing. As far as like Thraxa goes and this whole conversation, I found it pretty strange. This is the only time I can really think of that she's been somewhat emotional. And she's she's obviously still pushing it all down and creating a tough exterior for herself. But she still brings it up. You know, she brings up talking about Mustang and Daxo. She wants to openly grieve at some level. So we get that sort of glimpse of openness. And Darrow's clearly the one person that it makes sense to talk to about that. So, I don't know. It's it's at least some sort of desire for an open conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I almost I almost don't know about that, right? Like I don't think she wants to have that conversation. I think she's just like we don't need to talk about it, but I want to make sure that you know that I don't need to talk about it. I don't know. That's I don't know if that's the read I got. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that was more of a I want to acknowledge this so badly and I know this isn't the right spot, so I'm just going to say that we don't have to talk about it, but we're still saying it out loud. Um, yeah. Right. So when Darrow asks if she wants to talk about it after, you know, she asks him originally, uh, she replies, nah, not my bag, but it ain't fun, is it? No, it ain't fun. And that's just why I that's where I get the read of like, you know, it's it, she's not an emotional person. And so, like, she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, um, that's and maybe that just means that Thraxa needs therapy, which I think is real. Because she's got a whole slew of other problems that we'll, we can talk about later as she chases down Lysander and is trying to bite off his fucking nose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is a form of therapy, I believe. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. I, would, I think I that think counts. The getting, getting little bitch Sanders' nose is, is great. <laughs> oh, man. You know how hard it is? I've been avoiding using the term bitch Sander for so long, but that is the colloquialism within uh the fandom for lysander i think i've heard somebody say that that makes sense that makes I think sense I, I, I feel like i feel like it was aaron that sounds right that that does sound but it sounds it, correct to me within the context of what we were talking about it made total sense you know? yeah right right like that didn't that didn't like get my radar going like what's gonna happen with lysander it, it made sense so yeah right I'm I'm totally with you on that. I just I I think it's I think it's so funny. It's it's too too good, yeah. too good of a nickname. So but good. yeah, the the reveal of course here happens almost immediately after that line that I just read. The the sort of gimme. It's truth over all. A phrase that was said all the way back in Golden Sun when Octavia sat Darrow down with the oracles. He even references it as a slippery sensation that works its way up my arm. Love it. Yeah. So there, there is at this point kind of a com comedic out of place line from Thraxa, your pie as he's running away in this realization. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I had to bring that up. I thought it was funny. It's, it's super good. But, you know, she ate that pie. You oh know, God, she of course ate she ate that, ate that pie. pie. Yeah. She's probably like, fine. Eat your ration bars. She loves fish pies. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, she brought him in like secret gifts so one would assume yeah so um 
I would love this, a Thraxa fish pie. If someone could mail me a Thraxa fish pie, I think we should do, do it. Thraxa fish pie as the theme for next week's cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I'll use some more of my squid ink. Um, oh no! <laughs> anyway, continue. Um, so I think this is a pretty great way for Darrow to come to this realization. It is like the tiniest of slip ups from Lysander, and I'm not convinced he would even think of it as a slip up. Mm-hmm. It's just Darrow happened to be there and hear uh, hear Octavia use that exact phrase. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it a slip up necessarily, but Darrow just happened to be able to suss that out and like make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I would think of it as, you know, kind of a I mean, there's no way that Lysander would think that it's a slip up. Right. And there's no way that anyone should know that the only other person that I could like pick out of a hat and think about would be, you know, Mustang may have heard it at some point, Um, as it seems to be probably a common phrase that Octavia used, you know? like Yeah, that's true. Makes Does sense. Lysander believe Mustang's dead at this point, too, though? Um, I don't know. I don't remember if that's ever been brought up with him. I don't think so. But one would assume he could have found out in the intervening, you know, time when he was locked inside of the place. Yeah. You know, yeah. But of course, we move from there and the jig is up. Dara knows that Cato is Lysander, engages the comms, sends the base into a flurry as he takes off for Glorosti's estate, hoping to capture Lysander. So... I think I think the call that Darrow made at this point to tell Alexander what was going on was a bad call. I, I obviously retrospect tells us that, but even in the moment, I'm like, that's Lysander's too good at reading people. Alexander, I don't know, he's not necessarily he hasn't been known for his ability to lie. He hasn't that hasn't been mm-hmm. brought up. Right. He's not screwface, so you know. I mean, we know that Lysander is intelligent enough and perceptive enough to pull this off. He's been hiding within the camp for, or within the, within the ranks for a a while now. Obviously he's been under, like he's been being, he's been held, but they didn't have a, a read on him at this point. And any sort of little change in demeanor from Alex would give him away that something's up. I think the right call mm-hmm. would have been to leave Alex in the dark and like cut them all off later. Yeah, I, I only wonder. So I, I think that I'm mostly with you, right? So like one thing is one component here is that Darrow doesn't know anything about Lysander, you know, like he doesn't know anything about this Lysander at all. Um, He hasn't met <sighs> yeah. him. He hasn't ran into him since he was young. You know, that's a good point. So, like, he has no idea how actually dangerous he is. However, he does call him an, an Omega-level person, you know, an Omega-level. I think he says threat, but I think it's asset or something like that. So they were, like, treating him like a tool that could be traded, but also something more dangerous, of course, because he knew Kilrosti's and that was going to mess everything up. He also knows how, how like, convincing he was on the lie detector. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's fair. All all that I was saying is that I don't know that he would know that Lysander would be so, so good at this that he would notice licking teeth as being a tell. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. crazy. 
That is crazy. But it's also definitely Lysander. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. And the only other my only other thing here is that if you don't tell him and he gets shot, like then you just suffer the grief of, you know. And if Cato if quote unquote Cato gets shot while Lysander's there with him, Lysander becomes a threat. Mm-hmm. Or not Lysander, uh Alex. While yeah. Alex is with Cato, if Cato gets like dropped, suddenly Alex is like, what the fuck's going on? And is on the offensive. Mm-hmm. So I right. can see that. Yep. Yep. Most definitely. Yeah. So I, I think it's a hard call no matter what. I do think that Darrow mostly made the right call, but I do see the problems with the call, you know, problems mm-hmm. with the decision for sure. Um, it, it makes sense. <sighs> so with that, we move into chapter 80 Lysander heir of Arcos. Obviously this is, this is a fairly short chapter that there's a lot to say about here. But the heir of Arcos is a very interesting way to title this chapter because both Lysander and Alexander are grandsons of Lorne. And so this sort of thematic, emblematic, moral, ethical, you know, quandary that we see at the very end of this chapter shows who is our who is more Arcosian and in some ways more foolish, foolhardy because of, you know. Arcos is believing in honor. So, mm. yeah, man. Yeah. Fuck. So we've got we've got a lot to say throughout this, but uh, Ronan and Alexander are taking in the views, the statues, enjoying a drink and hanging out with a man they perceive to be their friend. As we know, of course, he's not. Um, Lysander even sees the tenderness blooming between these two, though. It fucking sucks the way that this ends, of course. But Alexander sips his sherry and gazes at the rough island as if she were the monument itself. And that just fucking hurts the way that Lysander can see this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, the whole book is, but this is really fucking depressing. man. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did you bring me into this? This is the whole payoff. (laughs) This is the thing you wanted me to like, see, I needed you to suffer like I have. (laughs) You're a dick. <laughs> I started Such a, a whole podcast <laughs> and we did it for a year plus just so that we could arrive at this point where we're suffering together. Oh man. Oh god. Yeah. Fuck. There's a ah. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I'm gonna say that a lot, I feel like. Like this is mm. just upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, man. It is totally upsetting this is grading in every way shape and form it only of course like it only becomes worse once the actual deed is done but i i really enjoyed the little commentary that happens between rona and alexander about the ships and him giving facts and lysander in his head being like wrong <laughs> and, like just <laughs> you know i i didn't i didn't i shouldn't say i enjoyed it strictly i was like this is so fucking you to be so in your head about this and just be like prepared to like what about isms and what if and you know like um yeah. actually you know it's yeah. it's just very clearly his his sort of thing but lysander probing when he's sure the jig is up once alex stops licking his teeth the sudden seizing of rona it's all so sudden and so wonderfully fucking done yeah um, yeah i mean the level of perception on the teeth thing is insane and this is without the mind's eye like he's not tapping into that at this point as far as we know right he mm-hmm. never mentions that which I'm still pretty unclear as to like the capabilities of the mind's eye, how far they stretch, but I'm assuming 
small little details like that are something that would be picked up pretty substantially easier by tapping into it. Um, mm-hmm. And he didn't. And he's still able to notice shit like that. And he's, this kid's got to die, man. <laughs> so now you've got the fuck Lysander opinion. Oh, I was absolutely. waiting for that to change. <laughs> no, of course. I was waiting for it to turn. It, um, it turned for me. It turned when like, as his demeanor and thoughts towards the lower colors changed mm-hmm. and how it changed from shepherding to subjugation. Yeah. Like that's yeah. so too did my view on Lysander. I feel like. You know, and I, I think that that's a fair point to bring up when, when thinking about Lysander, right? Because while I don't agree with the shepherding, at least, you know, he's he's got like an ethical line that exists that I don't agree with, but at least he can morally equivocate some sort of positive stance versus what's going on currently with the colors, right? So he's like, mm-hmm. well, they're not living better now than they were before. I mean, some are, sure, but not not the vast majority. And it's like, well... Yeah, but in the long term, this is going to be better. But I, okay, I'll I'll listen to you, crazy, you know, youngin who doesn't really know what they're talking about quite yet. Um, right. But now he's just got full full spacism, full like fuck the low colors. It's super easy to fight and squeeze their heads until they pop. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think at one point later on, he talks about their he talks about their annihilation. Yeah. During the fighting, like yeah, he's like I annihilate them. Yeah, exactly. It's brutal. So, fuck yeah. this kid. By the way, in like three weeks, we're going to be talking with Zeph, and he's going to be pitching us on why we should like Lysander. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I'll hear him out. I'll hear him out. <laughs> but should should be a good time. So, but the last chap- the last page of this chapter is just I think brilliantly written. Of course, uh, Alexander is angry angry about the death of his grandfather still and his cousin is here back again seemingly from the dead working for the well i mean seemingly he's been gone you know he knew that he wasn't dead but he could have died you know on the rim with cassius no one's seen them um and working for the other side as well on top of everything else but when lysander asks who his favorite poet is that moment that that happens the first thought is he's fucking dead alexander's dead he's not he's not gonna make it there and um, we'll talk about the poem in a second, but the line, no honor, no time, gets back to that thematic heir of Arcos, who's, who's the heir? Is it the survivor or is it the moral, ethical heir? But with that, Alexander gets his brains blown out of his face. Um, as far as the reading of a poem goes, it's a pretty in- interesting trait for Lysander, sort of giving an, a eulogy to everyone that he kills. That said... Interesting, a little bit over dramatic, and I think that's kind of what you get when a scholar enters the battlefield to a point. Mm-hmm. Like he's laying it on a little bit thick, but you know, he's winning at this point, so can you fault him that much in that in that sense? Um, yeah, and I feel like this became that became a trait ever since he was you know walking with Calendora, right? And then right. ever since he's been kind of fixated on poetry, yeah, exactly. Um, as far as the no honor, no time thing, I think this is very applicable later in the joust with Darrow. The, he he cements himself as sort of honorless at that point. He is he is calling to a, for like a one on one duel and just completely subverts the actual like honorable rules of this kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's um he's a fucking piece of shit, that's for sure. This is this is definitely the chapter where it cements in my brain and it's like, oh, oh no. Oh you you fucking you killed him? You killed Alexander, the savior of Tyche, the hero of Tyche, you killed him, you motherfucker. Like, you don't deserve anything. Ugh. And then he wins. How upsetting is that? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, uh. <laughs> so to uh, to just take a step back and talk about the poem, the poem that he reads here to Alexander is called Prometheus Bound, which is ascribed to or by Achelius. Um, I, I say ascribed to because they're pretty certain that Achelius did not actually write the poem and that it was likely someone else. Um, but no one really knows. No one can tell. It's from the early 400s BC. So it's about the time frame. Oh, I but was wrong back then. I think uh, <laughs> I think this dude named Dave wrote it. <laughs> fucking dave sure i think dave wrote the other poem the get off my lawn fuck you poem (laughs) (laughs) that one was basically a get off (laughs) that was definitely dave but what's what's interesting to me is that lysander at the beginning of this week in chapter 78 is reading the works of uh shelley right and in addition to that he was also quoting prometheus unbound before this moment right and, you know, Shelley, of course, wrote Prometheus Unbound, which is why that's that's important right now for that he's reciting Prometheus Bound. And this kind of has like a full circle feel to it almost, right? Prometheus Bound is the poem that actually inspired Prometheus Unbound. But Prometheus Bound is obviously the story of Prometheus getting strapped to the rock because he gave fire and arts to humans when Zeus was planning on destroying all of them to remake something in his image instead. Um, but prometheus bound has this ascribed reconciliation between zeus and zeus and prometheus at the end of it in which uh prometheus is kind of freed and he helps zeus and warns him away from sleeping with a particular mermaid um anyway that's that's not particularly relevant but there's a reconciliation and instead of kind of hatred or resentment there there that comes full circle however the prometheus unbound by shelley which is what lysander was reading before not what he read at alexander in said catalogs, the fall of Zeus. So in in a very interesting way, Shelley kind of took the myth and took the beginning, but was like, I don't like the way that it ends. And it should end this way, given what Prometheus isn't actually a villain. He gave good to humanity. He is in many ways, you know, a, a savior, a helper of humanity. Um, but, you know, not, not viewed the same. So it, it feels it's got a very interesting full circle moment here, between, I think, Lysander's perspective, and I think he chooses to read Prometheus Bound specifically because of the sort of presumption that Alexander has about who he's working for. Okay. And that in the end, you know, like, in the end, Darrow is Zeus in this picture, and, you know, perhaps Alexander is Prometheus, or perhaps everyone is Prometheus strapped to the to the rock, and... They're all forgiving because they think in the end Zeus is doing the right thing um, now, right? When in fact, he's doing the wrong thing and we should be pushing against him like Prometheus Unbound. Okay. Um, There's a lot of bound, unbound, bound, yeah, unbound. But That got real, real spaghetti real quick. <laughs> um, I think I followed real it. Spaghetti. <laughs> got real spaghetti. Uh, so it... One thing that you have in our notes, but you didn't mention Mm -hmm. explicitly in this 
story in in Prometheus Bound? Is it an eagle that's eating the liver? Y- yes, yes. I've heard it's it actually, as a vulture. It's in it's in both. It's an eagle. Okay, that makes a very very interesting relation to the newly revealed not dead character Cassius. Yes, and how does that connect to all this? That is I'm a sure great question, PJ, and it's not something that I had actively put a whole lot of thought into. So, um, thinking about that regenerating liver, man, I don't know. Maybe in the metaphor, then Prometheus is the society, and we're talking in Prometheus Unbound, right? So, the reconciliation at the end is a positive one that doesn't lead to the downfall of Zeus, instead, it supports Zeus. Um, so at that point, the eagle picking away at Prometheus would be it attacking, coming back and attacking the society. Maybe? Maybe. That fits. Yeah. That fits well enough. Okay. okay. Hmm. That's a great thought, though. I'll have, to, I'll have to marinate on that one a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, that just, just, a little bit of the... just made that connection. But I, I'd always heard it as a vulture for some reason. I'm not sure why. Yeah, so vultures eat dead things, which is why I think in the poem and in the play, they both are not written as vultures. It's written as an eagle. Cool. You know what I mean? Like vultures are decomposers, so yeah, they wouldn't. They don't actively eat things that are alive, like ever. Yeah, so. that's a good point. But in general, um, just kind of getting back to the back on track a little bit. I love all this extra information we get through the poems and like mythology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously I get it from you who gets it from, from the poems. Cause you, <laughs> I know some, I knew some mythology stuff. I don't know. I know fuck all about poems. Like I do not know anything about poems. So I'm glad that you do. And it's super cool. Like it's one of the coolest parts of this entire series is like getting that sort of breakdown from you. So Thank you You for doing all that extra work. Well, of course. I mean, naturally, if we're going to spend all this time to break it down, I'm going to A, read poems that I've never read before, study some poets that I don't know. And then on top of that, you know, like, it's a good way for us to, like, add a little bit and give back. Because I don't, I haven't seen a whole lot of people actually talk about the implications or meanings of the poetry here. So I think Mm -hmm. that it's, it's a wonderful way for us to add to the conversation. Um yeah, it's all, it'll also be interesting because obviously, you know, eventually we're going to be moving away from this book series um, and not a whole lot of other books are this explicit with kind of poems or inspiration or kind of direct, you know, linkage because either they're fantasy and they would never know this or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, they'd just be disconnected from a lot of these thoughts and ideas. So it's a unique thing inside of uh, inside of Red Rising. So love to talk about the kind of unique nature of it all so yeah with that with alexander's death we move into chapter 81 darrow dark age the moment of realization of alexander's death that darrow has here is a deep fucking cut it's it's almost like him you know him seeing alexander blown into and even worse is his reflection on what he and rona sacrificed in terms of their relationship just not to be a thorn in darrow's side that he would have to manage in addition to everything else. And that just like, it stings that he, he sees that in, ah, man, I just fuck. Yeah. And that said, this time we get to see Rona really grieve because they were Mm -hmm. a lot more open about the relationship. 
she she first of all the weight i guess of of her grieving is heavier um but also it's just more and more out in the open it's fucking heartbreaking having to see her her deal with uh with alex's death again kind of brought up the question for me why is rona still alive here why was she left alive it it doesn't seem tactical to to let her survive and potentially give up information about Lysander's movements or thoughts or anything like that or any any bit of information that she has that they might not have it it seems weird to me yeah I I definitely understand, and I think that that gets back to the no honor, no time thing. And then later, even Lysander says that, like, he's on a fucking clock for when the EMP is going to go off. It's a flick of the wrist. And, like, all of this is going to be realized. Well, he he hit her first, right? And I don't think he wanted to kill Alexander. Like, I don't think his aim was to kill Alex there if he needed to. I know, but after killing Alex, it it is so simple to just slash Rona's throat before running off. Yeah, that's fair. I just, I don't think that he sees anything in it, right? Like, he just has to go. Yeah. I, I mean, he was almost caught as is, like. Yeah, good point. I mean, I, I do, I do see where you're, your point, but I, I think, like, he only killed Alexander because he was a threat, like, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think I'm with you there. I, I do, I do see it, though, but, like, you know. But I man, the chasing Lysander through the city, like we were saying, obviously he immediately is adorning gear and whatnot, um, is just a fantastic set of scenes wherein the loon is dodging bullets, glass escapes the howlers in different intervals, diving into shops, everything else. It's just it's a fucking fantastic scene. Hell, even Thrax and Screw talk about how Cassius was responsible for training this man to be who he is. And it kind of points out that they never knew that he was dead. You know, like they never they never had that inkling that we've known that we've had this dramatic irony this whole time that I don't know that we've spent a whole lot of time talking about <laughs> that. Who's dead? That Cassius. Cassius is dead. Yes. Right. Um, how would they have gotten that information though? Like, even if it was true and it, the information was spread out that Cassius had died, it would have had to go through the rims information channels and I'm pretty sure there's not an open dialogue between the Republic and the Rim at this point, right? Oh, yeah. There's definitely not an open dialogue for sure between any of them. Um, but I would I would say that, like, obviously there are other channels. But again, the the people that are on Mercury, you know, here were previously on Venus in iron gold and like they were left out of a ton of information. So it's, it's not that much of a shock that they don't know. I just like, I remember that and I was like, Oh, Oh yeah, of course they're not going to know that. It's just every mm-hmm. once in a while we have this perspective. Cause you know, we know. Yeah. Cause we're better than them. So we get all the information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just going to put on my readers superiority cap right there. I know better than these pieces of shit characters that only see one side of the story. <laughs> you do. You do, PJ. You're so I'm, good at this. I'm Don't worry very about it. smart. <laughs> I'm so smart. So smart. It's um, <laughs> it's uh, good for good for you, man. Good mm. for you. I appreciate it. <laughs> as you. they're 
you're you're welcome you're so welcome as they're flying through the sky though as well darrow of course notices and equates the moment that's happening on all the hcs around him to the speech that he made on phobos to rally the colors to his side he's at this point seeing his own tools used against him by that kid that studied him so thoroughly all the way back in golden sun god it's so horribly poetic isn't it (laughs) ah yeah it's so good it's it's fucking painful i want to know what the words were i would also be curious as to as to what his rallying cry was i think the the part here that gets me is that a little bit later darrow talks about how like being merciful was ineffective right and like basically led to this moment you know an active mercy an active attempted contrition for the violence that he extracted against a family because he didn't want to be you know (laughs) he didn't want to be like nero like completely eliminating a family um however he uh or sorry not nero god what's what's really interesting let me let me back this up just a smidge so the story of nero right and iona bologna is one of <laughs> is one of the Bolognas eliminating uh or not was it the Bolognas? The Bologna is killing a bunch of, of Nero's family, right? And then Nero being raised by the arch governor being the last of his family. Well, this is effectively the same fucking thing that Darrow didn't realize he was doing. He killed the only family that he had, the only family that Lysander had. And didn't expect for it to come and bite him in the ass, just like it it ended up doing with Nero, just like Octavia even presented the head in the same way that Nero's, or, sorry, not Octavia, but that was uh, the jackal, presenting the head in the same way, like, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a really good point. I hadn't made that connection at all, but yes, that's exactly what's going on. It's, it's literally history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. It is just on a galactic does, scale as opposed happens. to a planetary scale. That tends to happen, Crossland. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I think that's even a point that's made across this series multiple times. <laughs> Lauren has a couple things to say about that for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. But it is, like you said, it, it is horribly poetic. It is just... Ugh. Ugh. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it, Lysander. You had so much potential. <laughs> it feels like the moment... Except for it's kind of reversed, right? It feels like the moment in Star Wars where they're on Mustafar in episode three and he's like, you were the chosen one. I was just going to yell that out. (laughs) I swear to God that I was just going to say that. It's it's literally it's literally what it is, right? Mm. That's that's exactly how I feel about Lysander. God damn it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Darrow, of course, is panicking, firing on all cylinders to destroy the EMP inside of the Morningstar, but the man is too late. The lights go out. Lysander throws off his boots and lands in a pool, you know, in a very cool, like, that's so cool to, like, ditch the heat signatures that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Lights go out. The shield goes out. Everything goes out. And they've entered the Dark Age. First of all, um, before he ditches his shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. It mentions that his signature is like split into multiple, impossibly. Yeah, that's the shoes. That's the shoes being okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he's he's gotcha. kicking off the shoes. Yep. I was thinking those were two separate items. Like he had something to split his his 
signatures and send them in different directions. And then he ditched it as well. But no, if that's the same thing, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's the shoes that he's ditching for the signatures. At some point he calls for them to shoot through the hull of the morning star, right? Yep. He's just like, yeah. fucking do it. Yeah. I mean, still much too late. And beyond that, this EMP is super fucking powerful beyond what any of them even thought. Right. Like did yeah. Glorostis even intend for it to be that strong? I mean, he wanted it to knock out enough of the planetary fleet, right? Without disabling the morning star basically. So by like keeping the morning star low and basically throwing out the other ship above the shield, it would knock out the shield potentially, but not this. I think the other component is that he likely amped it up because of the, the you know now rebellion but even lysander was surprised by it yeah i mean we also we also found out earlier that like they weren't able to have a whole lot more uh conversations in the cellar because they bugged the cellar after that first conversation down there they never were able to have an an open conversation again yep okay yep 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 so they communicated the one time laid out all the plans and then it was just it was just wait Wait and see. With that, chapter 82, Lysander, this summons legions. This chapter is something fucking else, man. From the big set piece of the massive fountain breaking under the ship with the hundred low colors falling down and crashing in and seeing the brown um, to Lysander dodging the rocks all the way to the prison break described as the obsidians and golds killing the lower colors with their bare hands. It's just something fucking else, man. Oof. Oof. This, this section along with, um, that chase scene from Darrow's perspective Mm -hmm. of them chasing Lysander through the city. Um, once again is exactly something I want to see directed by Guy Ritchie. (laughs) Like, I, I think we've brought him up most of the episodes in the last like two months or something like maybe not two months but like we bring him up a lot but this is exactly the kind of shit that he does so well our chase like chase scenes from multiple perspectives mm-hmm. so i just yeah. want that <laughs> i want that so badly maybe he will be the director of <laughs> this 120 million dollar budget tv show that's supposedly in the works yep yep I can't wait either. Just put put that positive energy out there. I mean, it's a TV show, right? Supposedly. So you can have different directors per episode. It's pretty common. Yeah. Guy, my guy. Guy, my dude. Approach (laughs) Piercy Boy and get on this project, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be so good. I... I also love the phrase that Lysander uses here and throughout being very poetic and kind of martial in tone at the same time. You know, I, I say martial martial is also in the quote, but being very like militant and having that sort of mind about him, you know, strategy on, on the brain. Now, given time, Daryl will summon some martial necromancy and that's just perfect because often that's exactly what it is. It's an advantage from a disadvantage from behind from death. He seems to come back and, uh, you know, from, from nowhere. Um, I took it as actual necromancy to an extent <laughs> here, um, based on the, the re reveal of Cassius. Like <laughs> that's, ex- I mean, he, he is doing, uh, it's not necromancy. Obviously he's not bringing him back from the dead, but he's, he is 
returning from the perceived dead, like returning from death in Lysander's eyes. So possibly, hopefully, maybe this is foreshadowing in that sense. Mm. I gotcha. I gotcha. I take marshaled to mean, you know, the like the military necromancy, but I, I see what yeah. you're saying with the foreshadowing for sure. I agree with you, and I think that's what Lysander was saying, but the use of the term necromancy for me points me more in a foreshadowing direction. Sure. That makes sense. But yes, I think you're right in what the actual intention was in Lysander's head and his quote. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Lysander, of course, continues his path and trek to the center of the dome, becoming equipped and hailing his legions. He also has a brief interaction with Cicero's horse that he talked about previously. Blood of Empire. The sun blood ritual, I think, is a really interesting ad of world building here, I think. And I, I it really cuts back harder and becomes more interesting when Darrow talks about the horse, horses for a brief moment. The horses? Horses. Yeah, I almost said it. I almost said horses. You did say it. Well, I... Did almost saved it. <laughs> you did almost save it. Good job. Uh-huh. That ritual, it. I think, was entirely unnecessary, but was so cool to include in here. And it also added some weight to sort of the strength and imposing nature of these horses. Like the fact that it would have fucking basically bitten his head off or his face off or whatever he says mm-hmm. if it wanted to. That was constantly in my mind anytime they were talking about riding on the horses or seeing the horses. Like, that's fucking crazy. And uh, yeah, anytime Lysander was riding Blood of Empire, that's all I was thinking about. Like, this this motherfucker could eat a person's head, a gold's head, if you wanted to. Did we talk about carnivorous horses, like, early on? Like, weirdly um, early on, before before these guys got, like, introduced I feel we, like we did. We probably made jokes about it. I think you're right. Like I remember it from early on, and I don't know if Sunbloods were even mentioned at that point. But we're talking about like what crazy shit could could Carvers come up with? And I, for whatever reason, maybe it was related to Sunbloods, and like it, there was a direct connection. But for whatever reason, in my head, I remember a conversation about carnivorous horses. And that's exactly what these fucking things are. <laughs> right, right. Just some some monsters created. I mean, just, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I might be completely wrong. I don't think you are. I just can't point out what episode in my brain. So. Like, that would have been probably Golden Sun, I think. My my imagination would say it would, it would be in the original trilogy as well. Yeah. Because I think it might have, it was probably around when we were talking about, like, oracles. Because that was a crazy you know, invention, which would be golden sun. Um, maybe, you know, created by the carvers. And there were a couple of other things in that, that book. So, or it was definitely. talking about one of the like deep sea monsters that would be in morning star. So yeah, that, that would also star, still, yeah. still original trilogy for sure. I can't remember. I just, if anybody happens to remember us talking about that and can c- confirm that I'm not a fucking crazy person <laughs> or let us know. Tell me that I'm a fucking crazy person or tell me that we were actually talking about Sunbloods at that point. Let me know because with my schedule, I don't have time to go through all of our backlog. (laughs) (laughs) And I drink too much to remember what I talk about every episode. That's I mean, fair point. Fair 
point. Yeah. His final speech given for for his Praetorians, Ronti, Filvinius, and Calendora, is certainly an inspirational martial chant before the war here truly begins. Do you know if there's any sort of historical commentary that can be pulled from this? Like, you know, it doesn't hmm. seem to be in the voice of Lysander or really in the voice of Pierce Brown. As far as I can tell, like, it feels a little bit off, but at the same time, it is a, a war chant. So maybe it was just like, that's how it was written, but it feels like it could have been something that was just straight up pulled from something else. Like a lot of his stuff when dealing with like historical things. I don't know. I didn't know if you had a read on that. It, it I mean, <laughs> In a way, it reminds me of the Braveheart speech, um, but <laughs> like, there's just like the calling out to commanders. I don't know of any immediate historical context. Um, Lysander in general is the name of a Spartan general, which is certainly, you know, a, a component. Uh, he led the siege on Athens. He actually took Athens. So that's kind of an interesting historical concept to the name. Um, but I don't know of any additional context on the speech itself. Okay. Sounds good. Wasn't sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely has a sort of uh, a martial rhetoric to it, right? Where it's like, you know, where are are you pansies? Are you soldiers? What are you doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are equestrians first. Blah, blah, blah. It kind of has that sort of general shouting at the troops. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So with that, we move into chapter 83. Darrow hazard bedlam just just for some context a lot of people here or a lot of people around believed that this would be potentially the title for the sixth book because of how widely it's used throughout this uh this book uh in addition to blood red is another another one but yeah i, I mean oof. it'd be a good name for a book and it's used hazard. constantly outside of the book like blood red or hazard bedlam. hazard bedlam yeah like just within social media and stuff, it's used all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's used, it's used fairly widely among fans because it's obviously it's a, you know, indicative phrase of what's happening right here, right fucking now. This is when the world explodes. So, oh my God, the violence and description that Pierce uses throughout this chapter is really, really masterful, dude. I, but I, I think it also points to Darrow's like lack of care about people. And it, it, nudges us in the direction of the conversation we've been having that there are these two different darrows or two different versions of darrows this cold calloused warlord of rage of action um and the is this manifestation of the reaper made whole again here that we see and in spite of the attempts to kill him in his armor he turns so many men into a bath of fucking gore so i mentioned listening to this uh in the car with kaylin like after she had decided she wasn't going to read it, she didn't didn't grab her. She did make me turn down the uh, the two x speed to something a little bit more manageable, so she could actually like understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we got to like this sort of section, and she's like, "What the fuck is this book? Why are you listening? Like, what is going on?" Um, yeah, that's a good way to put this. Like, it's it's fucking chaos and. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's so cool. It is bloody. It is brutal. It is gory as fuck. Loved it. 
my response to someone being like, what is this book at this point would be like, not now. The world's exploding. <laughs> let, let me focus. I got to focus. So much shit's dying everywhere. Everyone's dying. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> Just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, I man, it is. It is fucking awesome. It's incredible what he manages to do here to describe all of the I mean, all of all of the action is described so differently and the violence is described uh, in such a way where no there there no phrase or moment really mirrors anything else that's going on. You know, the the gore with the horses, the gore here with the smashing from the statue falling, all of it is just described in such a way where it definitely the streets are running fucking red but no one can really see the red because the only thing lighting the streets is the stars and just wow Ugh. Mm. yeah yeah um meat carpet so yeah we got we got we got to talk about this uh, i i want to read the quote as a mob, they were a single organism. In fear, they divide. In death, they become lonely as I weave them into my twitching meat carpet. My fucking God, Pierce and Darrow and the two of you, Jesus, like, wow. Weaving a meat carpet too, like using this word weave almost gives his like violence, this connotation of being a craft and the reaper being the craftsman. It's just fucking gnarly yeah i can it, it just gives such a visceral image though like body parts just kind of overlapping to the point mm-hmm. where they're just one one big weaved thing it's all interlocked all together all one unit oh <laughs> it's just a solid mesh underfoot oh oh god we I got messages very early on when we were doing when we started the show being like, I can't wait for you to get to the meat carpet moment. I can't wait for you to get oh, to the God. meat carpet moment. And they're like, you have to say meat carpet. And so here I am repeating meat carpet enough. So mm-hmm. it sticks in everyone's mind. All right, let, let's get some let's get some real clean audio of both of us saying meat carpet. Ready? Yeah, go ahead. Meat carpet. Meat carpet. Meat carpet my twitching meat carpet meat carpet (laughs) (laughs) oh man i mean it is fucking violent like this is this is that moment where it's just you shiver and you realize that like this is the war that they've been fighting for a while of course but i mean none none so brutal as this immediate hand-to-hand violence that they're experiencing right now It's generally a little bit more detached, at least with some of the other weapons that they use. Still violent, but detached. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's just so violent, man. Like, (laughs) there's just so much to it. Oh, my God. I like of all the times where I'm listening to this out loud and somebody else is listening. I'm like, holy shit. Like. I almost wish I was just like curled up in a corner with like (laughs) noise canceling headphones in the fetal position listening to this fucking shit. Holy God. It was, yeah, this, it was this whole section. This whole section is enough to make you just like cringe and cry at the same time. It's, um, it is a Mm. merciless beat down. Yeah. Absolutely. So merciless. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, 
talk about depression the book right you remember when the day red doves was bad <laughs> you remember, hey, remember Ulysses? You, like told me this was gonna be a fun thing that we started a year ago <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh man no this is bad like i'm I'm so wrapped up in all this and there's only like 50 pages left and I'm upset about that. So. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, oh, I don't get to know the end yet. Fuck me. Right. Like, damn it. You can't do this to me. You can't leave me damaged mm. like this. Yeah. At uh, least I'll be able to sympathize with all the people that like had to wait between book releases because now mm-hmm. I'll be waiting between book releases unless that gets revealed like tomorrow. Like, hey, <laughs> books hit the shelf on Tuesday. Go get them. That'd be pretty sick. And then I don't have to deal with like all that bullshit that you guys all had to deal with. Like, I'd be pretty okay with that. Yeah, I'd say considering he has stated that he hasn't gotten in a first draft yet to his editor, I think mm-hmm. um, I think it's safe to say it's all optics, man. It's, it's all, all optics. optics. <laughs> Psych. Okay, it's hitting the shelf. Psych. Psych. It's here now. So the city, of course, has fallen into absolute chaos. The EMP has seemingly also affected Atlantia's ships, preventing her from launching additional reinforcements and the like, um, and from just like glassing the place in general from the sky. But the weapons that they use now are are more primitive than the ones that they used previously. You know, people are still clutching their old pulse rifles, but they're effectively big, heavy sticks. We're, we are in the Dark Age once again. Those of the razors, gunpowder weapons, and their ilk. It's just, it's just a big oof, man. Yeah. Um, they mentioned gas rifles too, right? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure oh, yeah, that yeah. gets mentioned. Yep. Um, anyway, it makes for some extra cool scenes and like descriptions of the fighting and stuff, like bullets ricocheting off of people and objects and. People don't just get suddenly taken out with a pulse fist anymore, which is mm-hmm. it makes for some really, really cool fight scenes. So I'm all for it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it grounds the combat, right? Like it makes it 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 makes it it turns this this space battle, the space opera into kind of a medieval fantasy for a second. And like just puts it in where it's like with guns, you know, of course. So like maybe industrial or whatever. But it just it becomes something different and it's horrifying and fantastic. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I know. I'm just tense, like talking about it at this I, point. Like mm. I, there's no relief. <laughs> it's just you, rehashing it at this point. is just pain. <laughs> this is what it's, pain feels like. Yeah. Oh, oh God. I once we're done with this chapter, I'm getting another drink. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. So the preparations are made, the plan formed, and the howlers split up, covering the roofs with red and gray snipers, melee support troops, and Darrow and Thrax at the front near the Via Triumphia, where they will meet Lysander in single combat because he is a young fool. This is that martial necromancy that Lysander spoke of. I don't know if it is. I think it is. I think I he's know. making something out of nothing. I mean, he's rallying. I guess. I guess so. I'm just so. I'm so convinced that it's talking about Cassius at that point. I'm so convinced of it. But yeah, this makes more. The, given the context, given the use of the word "marshal," yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I agree. But I just wanted to be about Cassius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it can be both. It can be both. It can. Um, Well, and and the difference there is that, like, are we reading what Pierce is like, what Pierce is writing for us, or are we reading what Lysander is saying? Right? Because they're they're two different interpretations to some degree. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, that's that's true. Um, man, uh, the Via Triumphia. I never Mm -hmm. really got a clear read on what that is. Is that like their their base of operations? What, what, what is that? And I'm sure it was described, but I, I don't recall off the top of my head. Think about the horse racing track. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so like the Via Triumphia, uh, we've, we've previously seen them, uh, in what is it? Golden sun when he's being paraded around in the chariots right before like going up to the temple, uh, or going up to like Nero and then like going and having the feast because of okay. his triumph. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's effectively like a horse track or a horse, you know, like a, a place that horses would go a large thoroughfare is probably the way that I would describe it. Okay. Um, that leads to the, the hippodrome and kind of everything else that's over there. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So yeah, imagine like a Greco Roman, large dramatic street. Which, you know, also fits with the way that the combat goes, because, you know, he's like, well, he wants he's going to want to be in the place that looks cool and where all the fighting is, as opposed to something else odd and strategic. So, yeah, I mean, they're not wrong. No, I mean, yeah, predicted him, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally read him. Perfectly, Mm -hmm. man, the final words of the chapter, Hail Libertas, Hail Reaper. Hail fucking Reaper, man. Hail Reaper. With that, chapter 84, Darrow Meatstraw. We threatened getting another drink. PJ, what are you adding Um, (laughs) before we go to hell? So, a beer by Unibrow, Le Fin du Monde, which translates from French to the end of the world. Because (laughs) it's the end of the fucking world in this. Like, holy shit, shit goes sideways. So, end of the world. This is a Belgian triple from Unibrow. Uh, one of my favorite styles. I do a full breakdown of it on PJ's Symposium of Media and Whimsy, our uh, our October release of that. Which, you know, if you if you want to join the Patreon, you get to listen to that. So, that's my little yeah. pitch, mid episode pitch for the Patreon. There's a little little mid episode ad. For sure. Ah, man, here we go. (laughs) You can just feel the tension rise on the page as we start this chapter. We are in the shit of things now, boyo. I mean, before we even get into the, like, content of the chapter, the title of the chapter is pretty feeling evocative. Evocative? Evocative, for sure. But yeah. Yeah, I, fucking meat straw. Like we just talked about meat carpet, but you're you're putting it in a straw now. Hey, is it a straw for meat? Like you're sucking meat through the straw, or is it a straw made of meat? Like what what's what's being? I think it's a straw for meat in this context. But you know, yeah. I also, <laughs> I mean, the straw made of meat is pretty terrifying. They're made out of meat. 
they're made out of meat. I I love the the kind of way that this transitions, you know, away from the title and into the tension and into this kind of planning phase. Um, Pierce Brown in that interview that I quoted that we've quoted a couple of times or that I've talked about a couple of times um, said that he plays like a lot of three X and strategy games of late um, or four X. Sorry. So like civilization and civilization adjacent games, um, including Warhammer. He's like, yeah, you don't so much play Warhammer as you lose entire weeks in Warhammer, <laughs> total war <laughs> Warhammer. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. A single campaign is like a 40 hour job. <laughs> it's so good, though. Um <laughs> But they get up and and kind of are laying out all these plans um, and, you know, are, are kind of laying this all out. And we, we get the kind of initial read with we talked about this a little bit earlier about like Lysander should have killed him earlier. Um, but then he starts to lay out the plans of how we are going to manage to kind of take this. And the three Rat Legion snipers go up the brothers so they seem popping up into the the different windows i think is just a fantastic way and reminds me of xcom it reminds me of those video games you know which is why i was like it totally gives me that that strategy vibe um i I just really dug that i don't like the way you said that what do you mean brothers so they seem i didn't like that didn't like the way you put that um Two of them are brothers, right? As, as far as like we know, actually, all of them are brothers, but two of them definitely look alike. And then he asks the question, "Are you all brothers?" And then he says, "Yes, sir." Okay, I, I, the way I read that was he was dressing those two specifically, mm-hmm. the two that looked like. Either way, that doesn't matter so much. I was really nervous about these guys, which is why like set me off when you said seemingly. I was expecting. And I guess to a certain extent still am expecting some sort of betrayal at the hands of these guys. I don't know. Something seemed off about them and their interaction with Darrow. Like it seemed like there was too much focus put on him, like put upon it, you know? Mm, sure. I don't know. It, there's I, something, I there, it- there's something weird that like my brain is pinging me about and I'm not sure. Why. I thought it was more, What's interesting to me is like often, you know, you'll hear people who um, aren't reader writers or don't read a lot, whole lot be like, well, why didn't or like watching a movie like, well, why didn't they just put a sniper in and have him shoot him in the face? And it's like, well, A, it's not that easy. But B, also, um, this is literally literally an example of like Pierce being like, hey, I put the snipers in. They fucked up and then they died. Like they got a really close shot that like got him on the cheek, but did not get him. Yeah. Okay. That's just how I read it. It's like just making a point of it. Brothers but part though. I think it's just a little characterization. Yeah, but fair. yeah, I mean, I feel you. I don't know. It just it, it felt off. Something about it felt off to me, and I I can't really necessarily pin it to anything specific. But That's I am fair. note my like trepidation in trusting these guys. Sure, and I I think I I definitely understand. I think it actually does a better job of painting the difference between like Lysander and Darrow, right? Like Darrow talks with his soldiers and like brings them in for strategy, wherein Lysander kind of delegates. It, you know, that's always know. been pointed out. Like Pax even points out um, that to uh, to Ephraim, like my my yeah. dad loves all of his men. Like mm-hmm. it's one of his most defining traits. Something yeah, to that. I, 
and I, I think you're I think that's a great thing to pick up pull up here because I think that's exactly what's going on. But then again, like you can still be sketched out by the fact that like anything can go wrong and you've lots of reasons to believe that things are going wrong because they, they do and, they, um, and have been. They are actively going wrong. Yeah. Of course, after after the setup, the chaos begins and all of this starts to unfold. I, I love the description of the hedgehog, and I'm glad that Darrow takes a second here to reflect on his absent friends. As Roke would have probably said, most of them have been spent for the cause. Um, it's just it, it, there are a bunch of like good reflections that happen inside of this moment while, you know, he's kind of preparing for what could be the end in his mind. Mm hmm. Yeah, the the loss of friends and the loss of people close to you is kind of a theme, not necessarily a main theme, but a secondary theme of, of this entire series. It's constantly being brought up and constantly being referred to. And I think this ties that up pretty well, you know, like it definitely mm -hmm. sort of puts a little punctuation on that theme. Loss is incredibly important and the people that you lose go with you and influence you and your decision-making in the future, or at least it should feels bad when it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think that this is a, a retread of like, Oh, again, like Harnassus brings it up a little bit later and we'll talk about it more at that point. But like, you've been thinking that you're this one man killing machine and you haven't been using the asset that is the Republic. That is your friends as well as you could have. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I, I totally think that this reflection is is valid. And I think you bring up a good point that this is definitely a theme of like you don't have to do it on your own, man. And that, I think, is, again, a, a key difference between the Darrow that we knew before the box and the Darrow that we know after the box is he's he's more resemblance that we've we've made the call that he behaves and looks and acts more like the Reaper in those moments. Right. Yeah. As a comment on the title as well, I forgot to bring this up. Uh, we got a message. I, I posted a screenshot of this because I was doing the notes, of course, today um, on Instagram. And uh, Donna sent us a message. One of our patrons and longtime followers and listeners uh, sent something that said, <laughs> I mean, the theme of the books is cooks, right? <laughs> With meat straw. I was like, you, that is more savage than any joke that I've put in. I mean, <laughs> like, Jesus. She's got a point. She does have a point. She's got a point. Does have a point. So it's good. Just want to make sure we paid homage, proper homage for that. But oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah, it was good to laugh. Fuck, I've been. This is. I needed that. I needed that moment of laughter because oh my god, yeah, Ugh. oh man. So Darrow's reflection on his first time meeting a Sunblood as well on a mission for Nero and referring to them as monsters again brings us back to what Mickey carved him to be right the Reaper this beautiful monster with a seemingly singular purpose and I think that's that's a great juxtaposition between the two you know like it's I think that's why we get the description of the Sunbloods from Lysander's perspective is to give us this moment here where we can be like oh yeah he is a carved creature and even he thinks of himself that way yeah and honestly Mickey did a great job of creating a single task killing machine. Mm -hmm. like, and that's the Reaper. We've also got Darrow kind of wrapped around it as, as sort of the, you know what? Let me extend the, the example of meat straw here. <laughs> he is a meat sleeve around, <laughs> around the, the Reaper. <laughs> 
He's like one of those paper sleeves, just very thinly veiled. <laughs> Crumples when you pick at it a little bit, like a bacon sleeve. It's not a good straw, but yeah. what is a straw but an open cylinder on both sides? <laughs> I mean, true. Fair point. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the Reaper is is a one-track mind-killing machine. Darrow, Darrow is a, not necessarily at odds with, but not parallel not not uh entirely overlapping with the reaper and motherfucker are these sunbloods monsters like mm-hmm. holy shit yeah i don't it's I don't, horrifying i don't know what else to say but holy shit yeah it's i mean even darrow says i tremble in fear as my horizon becomes one of flaring nostrils frothing muzzles and trampling hooves like just like even Darrow trembling, that's terrifying. Yeah. Does it nothing give it, like, scares Darrow? We know that they are what, two two tons worth? Yes. Yep. And, and twenty five hands. Twenty six or something like that. Yeah. Twenty six. I think so I think it was twenty four and twenty six because Blood of Empire is bigger. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think 24 is the general and then 26 is the blood of empire. But two tons, this is typically all in uh, standard units, right? So this would be in, it'd be 2000 kilograms. Mm-hmm. I think, I think they te- typically use kilograms throughout all of this. Yes. Okay. So actually it does say, but even horses made of one ton of muscle and bone and blood cannot stomp through the armor meant to withstand fire run through. Yeah. One, one ton. ton. So yeah. 2,200 pounds. That's a big fucking horse, man. It's a fucking car. Yeah. How much does a normal horse weigh? That's a good question. How much do the horse weigh? Average horse is between 900 and 2,000 pounds. 902,000. So this, this yeah, is like a slightly breeds, bigger like Clydesdale. An, it really depends on the breeds. Um, average, yeah, average Clydesdale is about eighteen hundred, but more so, muscle, right? So like no fat. Like that's that's the big thing to me that is the big difference and defining factor of these horses is that like it is a creature of fucking thigh daddy, like just thighs. On fucking these horses. thigh daddy, is that what you went with? <laughs> I did. I can't take it back. <laughs> thigh daddy horses. <laughs> We're here. Creature. Creature of fucking thigh daddy <laughs> is the way you described the sunbloods. Here we are. Now we're here. I need to write this down so I remember it. <laughs> um, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about it. It's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. The horses are scary, though, right? Like the horses are terrifying. Yeah. Um, mostly because they're bitey. <laughs> and huge and they're stompy. huge it, it's like uh, the cross between a very very large horse and hungry hungry hippos <laughs> <laughs> yes that is that is so accurate and they like instead of going for the little balls in the center they're just eating human heads like just squishing them like grapes you between mean, those giant choppers human heads are little balls in the middle right i mean of, of a sort yes they're close yeah, yeah. And there he fucking is on his own sunblood, that blood of empire that we've been talking about, the shining loon himself leading a charge of trampling horses that turn men into meat. The razors cutting them open, turning the horses inside out. Just fucking wow, dude. This is just insane. 
to quote that sound is unreal indescribable like an animal caught in a blender except it's thousands of us in here and it's that's fucked man fuck that that's a description (laughs) that's a way to make noises in my head (laughs) 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 fuck it's not just the squish it's the cracks of the bones and it's the whir of the blender and the screaming i just oh (laughs) organs tear brains hemorrhage blood vessels rat rupture spines collapse backwards even the friction even as the friction of corpses slows down the horses they do not stop their killing hooves flattened skulls teeth of racehorses trained for the conflict of the hippodrome stab snap off faces screams turn to gurgles as men are spun through the blender of hooves managed to crawl free only to have their backs broken by the next steed just what the fuck is that paragraph you know this just okay (laughs) stick with me for a stick stick with me for a second here i'm gonna take us on a journey One of the Lion King. Okay. And if if the wildebeest trampling was mm-hmm. described like this, it'd be such a better movie, man. It'd <laughs> be such a good movie. Yeah, it's already right. a great movie. Like it's hard to hard to argue that there's anything bad about that movie, but this would make it such a good movie. I mean, this to me, the other part of this, like thinking about how this would be filmed, right? Like you almost can't do this. It's so much like it is. Sure you can. So, I mean, of course you oh, can, it, but you too, can't get so descriptive, you know, like how, how would you film of, it? Uh, I mean, I think you would just like cut to like different moments of people getting trampled in their heads and like spines ripping out of the back of their body. Like imagine like a head being removed and just like a spine sitting there for a second. I, I think the big thing is just like lingering shots would be how you would create the horror here. You you um, could create the horror, but you wouldn't get the description of the sound of an animal caught in a blender. You'd just get the sound. And I don't think it would live up to that description. You know? Yeah. You would you would need something a little bit more I'd almost be curious as to what, you know, this scene shouldn't have talking, right? Like no one should be talking. It's just screaming and grunts. No one's commanding anyone outside of the two commands, the two verbal commands that Darrow gives, which happened but slightly before this even occurs. I mean, there's almost no dialogue here. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. So, so that's you, that's a big thing. You'll see some terrors and you'll see some trampling and shit like that, but I don't I don't know if you'd be able to get the same feeling out of a visual as you would with the descriptors. Yes. Which is why I think you would, you would have to turn it into a slightly different scene. Like you'd have to turn it into like the horrors of this war. Right. Yeah. Kind of a thing, but you could definitely, I mean, there are ways that I could see it happening. There are examples that I can think of, uh, of which like similar kind of gory horror occurs. uh, That's, you know, terrifying in its own right. But, I don't know how many uh, like studio houses would approve this level of, you know, shit, right? Like this is, this is something else. Yeah. This is also something I don't think you could have a background music to it. 
either. No. Yeah. You just you just let it live as the absolutely brutal mashing of teeth that it should be. Like this should be something that is unsettling. Like that's the that's the feeling that you want to create here is unsettling how how primitive this war has become and how direct and horrible this moment really is. That's what he's trying to get out of us here. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But ugh. Ugh. like you said, no soundtrack for sure. Man. Unless it's, it's like the uh the intro to Watchmen with Bob Dylan. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> like just something completely off the fucking wall. Yeah, you could do a needle drop like that to make it, you know, clever, but I think that that would be I think that'd be too much. You know? I agree. I'm with you. Jesus. All right. So, anyway, man is it an unfair fight though. The low colors versus the golds as Darrow recounts. I also love the quote and I watch as they are butchered by the score and their conviction that all men are created equal is made into a mockery by the physical absurdity of the golds atop their monsters. And this is just, oh, oh, the moral paradigm of it all, too, is just crushing. So this is an absurd difference in feeling and like outcome, obviously, between like this, this scene. And uh, that light resistance scene that we like to bring up between Darrow and Lysander. Like, this is something completely different. Mm -hmm. Especially as Darrow describes it, right? Because he is living in this and this is the shit versus the light resistance scene, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Like, whew. A lot of people just mowed down. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just so much. Bend bow break two of these are used i mean this is the quote from darrow of course as he's he's sitting here in his head um looking at kind of what's happening between you know the slaves and the masters and kind of the fighting um this is a reference to the fighting stances of uh the willow way right ben bow break um mm-hmm. but two of these were also used as markers in golden sun but the third Part of that book is instead of break titled conquer, which is, you know, of course, similar or actually I think it's bow break conquer um, of which by the end here, Loon appears to have pulled that off. The society remnant appears to have won as they are eventually routed here. Um, but I just found that parallel very interesting using kind of the same the same phrasing, the same terminology and Darrow witnessing kind of the same thing that he did in Golden Sun being wielded against him far more brutally and um and effectively i don't know about that one like i i can see it but it, it seems it seems more they're connected by the fact that it's part of the willow way as opposed to actually being a callback to golden sun specifically but well, that is an he, interesting connection i mean it's thematically similar right like it's yeah it is it is close. I'm not saying that it's a direct call out, but a lot of this, a lot of the Lysander Darrow relationship hinges on things that happened in Golden Sun because of the abduction and everything else. Um, yeah, that's fair. And then just kind of the final confrontation that they have in Morningstar. So this is really the first time that they're seeing each other and knowing that it's the other person since the end of Morningstar. So this has been a long time coming mm-hmm. in a large way. Yeah, that's true. 
The dread monster rises in the belly of me. Laughter spews from between my teeth. I would die for the truth that all men are created equal. But in the kingdom of death, amidst the ramparts of bodies and wind olive screams, there is a king. And his name is not Loon. It is Reaper. And that is so clearly the mental division between the characters again brought up that is it is just so thematically resonant with all the things that we're saying but that is such a perfect quote that encapsulates i mean also what darrow's become you know like this is this is that culmination yeah i love this i love this quote like i love this quote so much I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it beyond that. Like I, this was perfect for me. It's it's a big reminder of that. I the motherfucking consequence. Here I am. The motherfucking consequence. Quote. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. In kind of town. Oh God. So we move out of. Any other thoughts on Darrow's perspective here? Uh Um. Not at the moment. No. We go back right. to him. Right. Yeah. Yep. 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 So. We go into chapter 85, Lysander, Loon, Invictus. And man, even in Lysander's perspective, the violence doesn't let up either. It continues its cruel advance as he makes mincemeat of the reds and other low colors all while Darrow approaches in the distance. And then something new starts, something very different. A red rain. And it is, that is a horrifying concept. <laughs> Just, my God. Uh, dude, it, it is absolutely astonishing. Like the guy that gets his throat sawn out by like a red that lands on his horse. Just it's such a cool comparison. <sighs> cool. I don't know if that's the right word, but comparing it to what his namesake is obviously calling the, the iron rain. Like mm-hmm. get fucking scrappy, man. Yeah. <laughs> and throw yourself off third story buildings. I don't know is fucking crazy. But if you were to create a rain from each color, that's kind of what I expect from a red rain. Like just savage overwhelming them with numbers from above kind of deal as opposed to the iron rain of like tactically dropping iron man suits basically. Yeah, I mean and like the the fucking wherewithal to just be throwing yourself off a three-story building and like in mass like all these people are just jumping off the buildings at an angle at these folks like oh my god how how horrifying a perspective also fucking get them boys like fucking, fucking somebody get them yeah fucking absolutely. get them yeah i mean some guy got lysander in the head a bunch and he's bald right now and just has like a bunch of knife wounds in his brain <laughs> well in his head not his brain but you know fucking Oof. good yeah, couldn't break the skull, but yeah. I, I also love, while the Red Rain is happening, of course, Calendar's warning about Thraxa appearing and jumping down, almost shouting that familiar, familial war cry herself to warn about the Telemannus um, that's approaching. It's just so good. And as she pursues, of course, Lysander runs away. It's also worth note, knowing here, noting here that Lysander definitely does know the Willow Way full stop as he cites many of the moves as he was earlier reminded that he was trained by Aja at a young age. And even Darrow says that he was trained by Aja at a young age. So, like, he admits that Lysander probably knows way more than, you know, he's let on. And, and not to say that he's excellent at it, but he does seem to know a thing or two. Also, could not agree more 
with the little bitch that <laughs> Thraxus <laughs> shouts after him, like absolutely chase that motherfucker down. Um, so we've had conversations about this in the past, haven't we? About, Definitely. Like. We talked about him knowing Cravat, most likely, because yeah, of training. We definitely under mentioned that. Yep. Were we ever conclusive about it? No. I think the one thing that we did say is that he knows Cravat because of Cassius, for sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, like you said, this kind of brings a full stop to that line of questioning. Clearly he knows it, but fuck this guy. Zeph fuck this guy. Like <laughs> I will not be swayed in your direction. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it's it's so it's so good to me. Um it's so brilliantly written. Like, you know, you you're kind of understanding Lysander, but you're like, yeah, you're you're just like a misled youth. And now you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're not you're no longer like a misled youth. You are leading a fucking counter revel like you are taking part in the civil war and you are on the wrong fucking side, my friend. Like you had yeah. a chance, and you chose wrong. Well, is it the wrong oh. side if they win? Well. Like, how do you I mean, define wrong? Morally wrong. Yeah, well, we've gone past <laughs> that at this point for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. Fair enough. But, oh, man, Thraxa here is also just great as she's just catching up with him, and she literally, like, takes... He's trying to, like, stab her in the heart, and she just grabs the blade and, like, throws it into her body and then pushes forward to try to bite off his fucking nose while laughing. Oh, my God. It's just... Uh, more of that, please. Thank you. Yes, give me more mad Thraxa. Like... Yeah. Manic. Raging. Yeah. Oh, man. I... I want... I want more people mad at Lysander. I want more mad, mad, be mad at him. Go, go brutally tear him limb from limb is what I want. <laughs> oh, man. Go and sick him. Ah, uh, yeah. Get him. Sick him. Get him a little bit. <laughs> Shoot him. Shoot him a little bit. Shoot yeah. him a little bit. <sighs> oh, man. Seeing the Reaper again from Lysander's eyes, just fucking incredible, too, as he notices, you know, him kind of stalking through a group of you know like like a tail up in a bunch of like high grass as he cleans through and cleaves through all these people bulldozing towards him um it's just that's just awesome the the way that he hacks at calendora as she falls and catches the horse like hooks himself onto the horse just to chase her down is just fucking gnarly she's you know she's probably doing pretty poorly right now um, is this, this is after we see her basically like sideways on the horse, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was she, Okay. Yep. There's a whole lot yeah, of imagery and it's hard to like keep it all straight. Right. Right. So the, I, I think that this is technically, there's some overlapping time frame here because Calendora does right. go past, does charge past, um, Darrow and like swipe at him. And I think that's what this is referring to. It's the okay. same kind of thing, but we don't see the end of the scene resolve. All of these scenes, though, like they're just so perfectly intense. You can't stop. Like, that's the problem. Like, no, even when I was trying to do notes, I was like, I can't like, where do I draw the line and ask a question? Like, where do I where, where do I do this? Yeah, it's very smooth. Very, very. Uh, I don't want to say meandering, but it's almost meandering through a fucking brutal battlefield. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. It's all so, so smoothly like transitioned. Yeah. It's, it's gnarly, dude. It's fucking wild. But then, you know, the moment comes right where the tramphia meets the plaza, the meat straw meets the rest of this. It all hinges on this in a moment. Lysander, who we used to call our boy for the record. He's no longer my boy. I have (laughs) disowned this man. I do not know this man. (laughs) Our ex, our ex boy, uh, Lysander chases after the Reaper who's running away. Our ex boy, Lysander chases after the Reaper and he doesn't respond when he calls out his name as the Reaper, but he does when he calls him slave. And that to me is another moment of like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. That was, I don't even think it was just a means of trying to get him to respond, like trying to get at him. I think that was genuine at this point, you know, like, I, I don't think it was like, Hey, how can I get him to respond? Oh, I'll call him slave. That might work. I think it was more, more innate than that. Yeah, there's there's no thinking here, right? There's no thought put into this. This is just his next reaction after he didn't respond, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. next title. <laughs> yeah. Like, just this is what you are to me. And that is horrifying, of course. And this leads to the joust, right? The confrontation. A street tunnel of concentrated destiny, as it's said. And they pass. Darrow is skewered by Kalandora's razor and Alexander's razor is shattered, and the sling blade, as well, is broken. The Reaper is defeated. Yeah. Yeah, effectively. Not gone, but defeated. He has been bested in that sense. We we talked about it before, and I, I mentioned this before. Like, this cements the, like, wh- what side of... Lorne does he fall on and he definitely falls on the honorless side of it he doesn't fall within Lorne's circle because that is that is a terrible move to make on somebody you know like mm-hmm. tactical absolutely smart perfectly really really well done turn turn Darrow into a kebab perfect <laughs> yeah but it's not honorable at all and for somebody who used to be so just enamored with the traditions and history of gold this seems like a step backwards for him mm-hmm. it, it is interesting because he says you know like i i bring my borrowed razor up like a lance in my left hand but in the middle of battle i'm not as equal nor am i in the dueling ring but aristocrats have always held a monopoly on horsemanship so it does it does seem as though he's acknowledging that like he knows that he can't win this fight in a fair fight yeah. like he is fully aware Oh, for sure. What what I do enjoy here, and this is more of like a, a meta commentary, right? Like he doesn't use the mind's eye. There's no mind's eye here whatsoever, right? Because there's no way to focus in that I think it would really help him. As far as we understand, like we don't really yeah. know that much about the mind's eye. Well, we do know that it's like an after image kind of thing. Like we do. We know that aspect of it, but we don't know how it affects. Yeah. Like we, we know that they're using the mind's eye against each other, like uh, Lysander and the Fear Knight. And that's not an after image part. Like they're analyzing each other's conversations. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. how does that affect it? Like what, what else can the mind's eye do 
Sure. And how, how does it actually work? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess my point was is that this doesn't appear to be the mind's eye, right? Right. Like it doesn't. I, he would have mentioned it because we're in his perspective. Yeah. Right. Um, but fucking brutal. Fucking brutal. Yep. Yep. And a Praetorian even goes so far as to say like right through the heart. Lysander's like, no. You can already see the legend building of how he killed the Reaper, how he killed Darrow before yeah. it's even, you know, kill confirmed. But man the the broken the broken razor and i i definitely have more to say about this but the shattered sling blade to me represents the death of the reaper and an opportunity for darrow to be darrow but that's a good point i, I that's why i said the reaper's defeated here right specifically oh, because okay i yeah i didn't catch like, that specific yeah cuz i i think that this is kind of i think that this is the death of that singular you know, force in a way where like Darrow is still obviously a incredible swordsman and all of these things. But especially when we get into the next chapter, the conversation with Harnassus and things like that lend themselves for me to go like, okay, he's realizing some serious faults. So that, that opens up a really interesting conversation of his conversation with Harnassus talking about what he wanted out of all of this, him losing Effectively, in the in this scenario, he loses this fight, mm-hmm. but it gives him that goal potentially, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's a commentary to me to be made when you when you make your life about war as a means of finding peace. The only way you can find peace is loss. I don't know. I I I am not eloquent in like describing that. Was that was fairly but, good. But, Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's also kind of what like Lorne was getting at right back in Golden Sun again. It all comes back to Golden Sun. Uh, But in Golden Sun, there was a huge point, right? He's like, I want for you to be a man, not a warrior. Like that's that's the life that I want for you and my sons and my my family, because like the life of a warrior is is a cruel one. And it's an existence that you that you don't want to share that I don't want to share with you. Mm -hmm. And it feels like to some degree, this is that. This is the breaking of that strict warrior Darrow, potentially. Um, that might not be true, but this is, you know, my supposition at this point is that this kind of symbolizes the death of the death of the Reaper and an opportunity for Darrow to lean back in on friends and think as a group and work together because that's that's when he was his best. Yeah. But we have yeah, to uh, we obviously have to talk about that inside of the next chapter. Um, did, <laughs> did you have any other thoughts on uh, on Lysander? Fuck Lysander. <laughs> that I hope I hope I hope Chris Hansen gets this bitch. Like <laughs> he's got to go down somehow. And if Daryl can't catch him, absolutely, oh we need to get to catch a predator. Him, he, he's got to go down for something. <laughs> Serafina. Serafina's actually his downfall. Oh no. Oh man. Fucking hell. What a man. What a dude. What a bro. Not really. Our boy. Those things. Our, our boy. That in is quotes. A black a black mark in my history now. You you also have no idea how how much shit people were giving me for saying our boy. Um <laughs> because everyone's like fuck Lysander why are you talking so positively it's like well I can't talk negatively about him yet like I have opinions but I'm trying to make sure that we're you know (laughs) thinking about him positively for now that's an interesting like that that 
is something that plays into our exact format of this show in that mm-hmm. I am so glad you let us do that. I'm so right. glad you let us like dive into this, our boy Lysander thing. Cause it was so much fun and it makes mm-hmm. this moment of like, fuck him so much more powerful. I feel like in my, in my mind mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So keep in mind anything I say at any time could, uh, could flip around. Yeah. Go but, fuck yourself. You know. Crossland. Um, <laughs> oh man all right getting into our final chapter of the week chapter 86 darrow legions end we of course crash back into darrow's perspective and the world is ending dissolving like a nightmare around him all the ground we fought for over the course of this book is lost the progress destroyed from darrow's perspective most of the howlers remaining have given up Screwface is in shock having lost a leg in the conflict and most of his scalp it's this is a dark dark moment yeah, he Derry even asks if Screwface will survive, and Thraxus says, "Hopefully not." Like, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! Is this just depths of despair at this point? It's brutal. And Thraxa doesn't want to be captured, so she's like, "I'll go my way, you go yours." Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, she lost her wee lass unfortunate and like the legion of course that got screw face that was manhandling him was the legion that he infiltrated that he was pretending to be a part of so they extracted obvious revenge by scalping him cutting off that leg and i mean jesus that part to me like him talking just hurts when he like references clown and pebble and asks if they're safe and mm-hmm. Severo and whatnot and we know that on loon they aren't safe they're not in a good way or good place right like that also sucks because it's like darrow doesn't even know that <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah oh <laughs> man it's just layers upon layers of like fuck me yeah yeah it's all it's all fucked dude this whole thing is fucked so the moving into kind of the conversation that we started to have the the discussion with Harnassus kind of seals two different things for me. One, of course, is the one that we mentioned, which is the Reaper that we knew, I think, I can suppose, is dead, right? And this is a supposition because we don't know the final book, right? So my assumption is with the breaking of the sickle, the breaking of the scythe, this is the end of the Reaper as we knew him, um, or that split version of the personality itself. So... It was it was all that this like loss of face this this loss of faith I should say in and face. the Republic and face uh, looking like, to I I was gonna say like the one thing that he's going to have to overcome is not needing to go redeem himself like being okay with running off with his tail between his legs and that yeah. that is that is he is a very proud person at times which is why this is titled pride right like this that's yep this section is pride yep so he has to overcome that in order to like let that death mean something potentially positive it's not necessarily going to be positive overall but it, it it can give way to positivity for him personally and uh he just has to overcome the pride of it. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Sorry. I had to, I had to butt in on that one. 
a little bit. Oh, no, no, for sure. And I, I think that makes sense. Um, obviously, like you said, lost face, definitely. Um, but he's he's been looking to solve it all, as Harnassus points out, right? As he did in Iron Gold in most of this book, he's been kind of the one-man wrecking crew, which is why Severa leaves him in Iron Gold, um, kind of at the disregard of, of a lot of other things. And, and now at the very end here, he thanks Harnassus, his friend, his commander, for being his conscience, which I think is so, so important. So that's the first thing, if you want to. I, I thought there. this conversation was earlier, honestly. For whatever reason, I thought mm. this was before the battle. Gotcha. Um, so now now it puts it in a weird spot for me. His, his response to this is after his downturn, not downturn, but his, his fall, so to speak. And did that fall affect or change how he would have answered this question? I don't know. Well, I think the fall did change the way that he's thinking about it, right? Because Harnassus is also putting it in his face to some degree, yeah. right? And being like, dude, like, I'll follow you anywhere. But also, you have to understand that, like, you have been putting all this weight on yourself as opposed to dividing it among you know, friends and responsibilities and like your, your loss of faith in the society, you know, is, is this whole thing, you know, he says, but your wife believed in the Republic, didn't she? Darrow nods. You didn't. I saw you lose faith one step at a time, looking to solve it all yourself. That's why I stood in your way. I thought this was what you wanted a glorious end. Now that it's here, if not the Republic, if not for a hero's end, why keep going? And that second thing that I wanted to bring up here in this conversation with Harnassus is that of the fantasy. Darrow, again, recounts the fantasy that all the way back, Iron Gold Chapter 7, right? That being the real, real through line of what Darrow wanted most of all, and now realizing that the path of the Reaper was never going to get him there. Finally, he's come to the conclusion that via Harnassus, via the, the experiences over the course of these two books, that... This was never the path to it. While, like you said, the the cost to him um, of like at, at any cost to achieve peace ultimately led to the sort of worst case scenario. He had to kill people that was cl that were close to his family, which also turned them against his family, which caused other issues down the road for Mustang in the form of the Day of the Red Doves. I mean, there, there are just so many complicated issues that spread out of Darrow's decision making, which, albeit. Also, Darrow's fighting for the right thing. Like, we can't say that he's not fighting for the right cause. It's just that he almost just didn't do it the right way. He should have relied on his friends all the way back in the beginning of Iron Gold. He should have shed that warlord that he, you know, believes that he can just run into the wall and it'll eventually break. And this is finally the wall pushing back and saying, no. Yeah. Oh, I don't know where to go from here. Like where, where 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 do I extend off from that? Because you're right. Like th this is this is that sort of dead end. This is that wall. Um, I mean, I like to think of it as a new new thing, right? Like it's it is. He ran into the wall. Now he has to face the wall and be like, okay, what do I actually do about this? Yeah, got to climb over it. Yeah. Um, I I like this. I like this aspect of or th this position that Darrow's in because I I was trying to figure out a way that he could separate himself from the Reaper and this is the only one that makes sense you know kill the fucking Reaper 
Yeah. I mean, Darrow's only changed when he's been broken, right? In some way, shape, or form. That's the only way that he's made serious change. Yeah. So, here it is again. Yeah. Yeah, that's a break. Yeah. We, of course, will have a lot more to say about this, and you can you can kind of mull it over. Um, but... Yeah. We'll 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 kind of wrap up with some thoughts on Darrow here as well. But this chapter this week and Darrow's perspective in this book closes with a familiar friend arriving sent by Cavax to help. It's Cassius, the golden gold of a bastard alive and well and here to help. There was a very audible what the fuck that came from me when I read this right away. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, this was... Cassius had completely slipped my mind. I remember not being 100% convinced that he was actually dead, but it's been so long and he's just been gone for not really mentioned as a character. There's been sort of mention of, of Cassius in general, but the idea of him as like a, a force within the book hasn't been mentioned for a long time. At least 900 pages, like at least at this point. Yeah, probably, probably something like that. Like, um, like I said, I I wasn't a hundred percent convinced he was dead, but at the same time, at this point I was completely like, all right, he's dead. He's gone. It's been too long to like really bring him back and not, not from a like, oh no, you can't bring him back now. It's more like. I don't even remember him. He's not <laughs> he's not on my mind because there's so much other shit there's so much other shit going on. So like why put any thought to him? And this was just an insane reveal of Cavax's inside man. Like, how long has Cavax been sitting on this? That's been a long time. Well, there's another component here too. Not only has Cavax been sitting on this for a while, but also this puts diomedes on the spot right because diomedes kept him alive despite his mother's orders and like him him appearing to Mm -hmm. die in the circle right so like it also gives a little bit of interesting way to the to the raw family and what what potentially diomedes and dido are up to and at odds with each other but she obviously she probably doesn't know about cassius's survival um yeah that has more spider webs into atlas being yeah. raw fuck fuck right? man <laughs> it's there's some serious implications with cassius being alive like but like i said like we, we talked about this before there's that eagle conversation that i mm-hmm. would i hadn't even had on my mind until you had it in the notes that there was an eagle eating the eating the liver um i have no idea how that connects if it connects at all but it feels relevant enough to mention does yeah man oh boy i i was blown away the first time that i read this i was like no fucking way it's cassius it's cassius for the reaper by the way drink for the death of the reaper yeah we we can choose the death of the reaper and we definitely owe alexander a drink for sure oh Oh, yes we do yeah that's true cheers to uh cheers to alex cheers to the reaper and um me probably calendora like (laughs) Cheers to how many people died? Are we doing a drink for each one? I mean, lots of people died, but yeah, yeah. There, there's literally a carpet of meat <laughs> in the city. 
Yeah. Cheers. Cheers to all of the dead. Yeah. In so this it, fucking book. I think. Uh, do you I see think, why I didn't have you do a Deadpool now? Because <laughs> like it would have been too obvious that there were a lot of people dying. I don't know if I would have gotten. I don't know if, how I would because there are characters that we meet and lose. Mm-hmm, you know. Right. right. Like this is a long enough book that we meet and lose characters significantly. Mm-hmm. Like Calendora, I mean, perfect Calendora, example. Right. Got. I mean, Cicero's not here. Is Alexander really a character? Like he exists, I guess. Oh, he's definitely in Iron Gold. It's unfair of you to say he doesn't exist. He is no, in Iron Gold. No, I didn't say he doesn't exist, but like oh. I said, he, I explicitly said he exists, but yeah. he's not prevalent. He's fairly prevalent in is Iron he? Gold. I can't yeah. remember what happens in what book, man. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Not. I mean, he's not in the series before that, so that that would be my okay. note, okay. of course. But, yeah. but anyway, to the dead. To the dead. Cheers, man. Oh, my God. All right. So as mentioned, after a very long discussion with um, some friends and friends of the show, I did settle on at the very least letting you know that this is the end of Darrow's perspective for the books or yeah. ra- well I mean rather for this book um so do you have any other thoughts concluding thoughts to some degree on Darrow obviously we'll talk about some future implications that could arise via other people's perspectives next week in our wrap up but anything else that you want to say about Darrow or this week's reading you know final so, final thoughts to be clear you are telling mm-hmm. me this is the last time we have Darrow's perspective, or is this the last time we are seeing Darrow, period? I'm telling you it's the last perspective chapter, at the okay. very least. Sounds good. Um, Man, what a way to end that. Fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, gods. Brooding again. Some things never change. This is such a fucking cliffhanger. And yep. honestly, like... <laughs> I could, I could be happy. I don't know about happy, but I could see this as the end of a book, you know? Like if you are very clearly and very relatively quickly putting out another novel, like the next book, I could see this being straight up the end of the book. I'm glad it's not, but Darrow has always been like our, our main protagonist because of our time with him through through the first trilogy so it feels final somehow i don't know man i don't know how to feel right now i mean that's fair dude like as as mentioned like this series has some of the most brutal cliffhangers endings moments um of of many book series that i've read but this this hang up that happens right here this is this reminds me of exactly how golden sun ends where it's like just the gala happens and you're like oh what and now i have to wait for the next book or like i have to i have to read the next book now fuck me and this you know obviously we're dealing with multiple point of views so there are other things to wrap up yet but um this does have that like sharp ending feeling which is also why i wanted to bring it up here because you know, at the very least, we're not going to we might we'll hear about Darrow. We'll we'll do some other things around Darrow, but we're not going to we're not going to hear Darrow's thoughts again until the new book comes out. Yeah. Um, I just I, I want more, man. <laughs> we got one more week, man. We got, we got one, one more week. week. We've got 
We've got the prequels. And then mm-hmm. we're starting a new book series. I know. Because, like, this is it. I know, man. It's fucking gnarly, I feel like we're, we're kind of lingering on, on this book series for a while, though. We've got a couple really cool episodes coming yeah, up right we've got we've got some cool stuff for sure in the in the pipeline um one of which i can't fully announce it's actually not going to be our show uh or on our main feed but it will be it will be grand and then we've got two other um pretty cool guest spots that i'm excited about so in addition to the one that i'm going to announce here in a second so like three guest episodes we already announced zeph right we i did at the beginning of this episode if Zeph wants to be called really, really cool on this podcast, he just needs to send me some pulled port or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can be bribed with, with I, meat. We can be bribed very easily with some If meat. you make a straw, like a meat straw, <laughs> and send it to us, I will very favorably call you the oh, coolest no. guest ever. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. All right. So with that, PJ, um, any any final concluding thoughts? Well, I love you, Zeph. That's one thought. Um, and I'm mostly saying that, one, because it's true, and two, because that makes me not think about the horrible implications of everything that's been happening in this book forever. Um, <laughs> fuck you, Crossland, for dragging me into this whole goddamn shit show. And uh, I'm <laughs> so happy to be here. a shit show in this book. I'm yeah. so happy to be here. Like, this is... Guys, I'm understanding what it means to be into reading. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was the whole fucking point, right? Right, right. I mean, literally, that's that's why we're doing this. So, you know. That's the whole In addition to sharing point. great and, stories and, and insights and, yeah. Yeah, man. This is great. I, I am Ugh. saying all of this, like, all of this shit I'm saying... With a smile plastered to my face. Like, I am so happy to be here and reading all of this and sharing all of this with all of you. Like, I am so excited. There's 50 pages left. And I know that I can't expect that to be like a like fluff section. Like, shit's going <laughs> down, man. Like, shit is changing very quickly. I'm, so I'm, I'm seriously once we're done here i think i'm i'm going to read the rest of it i mean that wouldn't shock me you know it was it was funny um obviously did similar brushes and we had kyle on for the morning star stuff but he like literally pounded through dark age and then when he hit like each of the cliffhangers basically he would just text me like a fuck with like 20 u's in the middle and be like i can't believe this happened i can't believe that happened ulysses upside down oh my god like all all the individual moments and components and it is this book is gnarly this book is not for the faint of heart like (laughs) yeah it is it is something else yeah that's pretty true but um just to just to kind of put a bow on this episode i i'm so excited of course that we've made it this far it seems as though like this almost sounds like a concluding episode but we do literally have another week and then we've got roughly five weeks worth of uh, of stuff planned so around this um and around the the prequel comics so uh, stay tuned of course for you know a little bit more red rising stuff and some other projects that are coming out as well so with that pj we do have a prediction um here for you from a listener so do you want to read that 
Uh, I think you should read the question. Sure. I'll read the question. So from Leave Bronx on Reddit, we have... At the beginning of part four pride, we are given a quote from Selenius's meditations. The world is a maze without a center. Become it or be forever lost. There's a fairly famous mythical creature who guarded a maze or a labyrinth, depending on how you think about it, once upon a time. And wouldn't you know it, one of our characters uses said mythical creature as his moniker slash symbol. Do you think this foreshadows anything? And if so, what might that be? For Lysander, for Darrow, etc. Or do you think it's simply a red herring? I, Based on the way this question is phrased, I think they agree with me that I don't think Pierce Brown would intentionally make a parallel like – or would unintentionally make a parallel like this um, in regards to any sort of mythology. So I, I think it's definitely intended and in the question there was no like, is this just kind of a, a fluke? So – leave Bronx, I'm, I'm guessing you assume this isn't a fluke either. Furthermore, it's not laid out obviously enough to be a red herring, I feel like. like it, it's still a step. You still have to make the step through the, the mention of Maze to Labyrinth to Minotaur. So I, I think for that reason, I think it's a little bit too far to be a red herring. So I think it's absolutely something foreshadowing. And I think it's foreshadowing Apple taking the reins of something, some part of the next iteration of the society, whether that means sovereignship under the condition that like Lysander dies or isn't named sovereign for some reason. But even even if not the sovereign, some sort of leadership position, leader of the military, what I, I don't remember exactly how the uh, political structure of the society was built. I just know of the Sovereign and the Furies and the Knights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, the Ash Lord is separate from the Knights, you know, in theory, or was separate from the Knights. I mean, it was kind of the, a military force of one of the fleets. Um, so, yeah. like, an Imperator of sorts, you might say, would be, yeah. you know, a position. Yeah, exactly. Um, or Arch Imperator. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I wanted to add one in here um, last second, but I realized that, of course, we kind of left this out. But, you know, obviously, we've spent a lot of time with Lysander and Darrow in the fight, and Lysander won. So what's next for Lysander after his victory? How does Atalantia and the rest of the society remnant react? Do we know that there's been any conversation between Atalantia and Lysander at all? Well, no, but I'm saying uh, now no. that he's won. No, no, I, I know, that, but that will sway my answer to this. Oh, no, yeah, there, there's been no conversation because this was a race against the poison, right? Like the biological weapon because Lysander wanted to save the people. That's I don't why the Fear Knight also went along with it, you know? I think Atalantia wants power. And I think she'll see Lysander as a threat to that claim. So I don't think she'll accept Lysander with open arms. I think I think she'll be at odds with him to a certain extent and potentially to the point of being an actual enemy to Lysander. Okay. Because I, I, I think she wants to take over. I think she wants the power for herself. And she knows that Lysander has an actual legitimate claim to the throne, as it were. Yeah. I am... Um... 
I definitely agree, man. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Sweet. So this is generally where we would do our question of the week. However, due to the way that we have to record um, these episodes this week in order to fit in guest recording and whatnot, um, we are going to be continuing with last week's question. What's your favorite earned death? So get these into us as soon as you can. Uh, This one is going to be published. This episode is going to be published this upcoming Thursday on the what? Seventh, I think. Yeah, the seventh. So get it into us on the seventh. We are recording the next episode the final episode on the 8th. So if you haven't already got it into us, get it into us so that we can include that. Um, also, that if you have any other... Th- any way, any way you want to submit it, whether it be our Patreon, if you are a Patreon supporter, Discord or whatever, um, Twitter, Instagram, um, cross trolls the uh, the Red Rising Reddit every once in a while, maybe on there, but that's not super... I don't know. That's not guaranteed, but mostly I'll through make sure social to check. media or yeah. email. Like, however you want to submit a question, go for it. We mm-hmm. just want interactions with you. Yep. Yeah. Let us know. And then also, since we're approaching kind of the end, let us know what you loved. What 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 you like about the series? What are some of your favorite moments about both the podcast and the book series itself? Give us, you know, give us um, give us some of your favorite reactions. We'd love to like talk about that and include kind of like a, a post-mortem of ser- sorts um, mm-hmm. as a little mini episode so yeah for for like a little bit of how the sausage is made i guess um we're going to be starting a new book trilogy and if there's something about the format or about the way we do things that really maybe are awkward or you don't like so much or something that you love and definitely want to see more of let us know and we can kind of mold our format for the next series to kind of be tailored to that sort of idea. So that that's, that's what we're fishing for. We're fishing for information on how to make our show more accessible, more palatable and more what you guys want for the next series. Yeah. So let us know, leave us any kind of uh, review, comment, etc. things of that nature. So, uh, again, question for next week. What's your favorite earned death? Um, thinking back to Ephraim and the like. So, and then send in those thoughts and notes as well. Beyond that, next week we finish Dark Age and with it the Red Rising saga so far. Uh, I can't believe we've uh, we made it. Dude, I, <laughs> I genuinely didn't think I'd make it this far. I thought I, thought I would have thrown in the towel because I've always been bad at reading. I was excited to get like into it and for you to like drag me through this, but I, I didn't expect to so quickly become so invested and so excited about it. So I'm super, I mean, I'm of course very glad. Um, it's, it's so, so fantastic. What's, what's also incredible is that we are, of course, approaching our one-year anniversary. Our first episode actually came out on October 15th, and that is when we are also wrapping up Red Rising, the book series at the very least, with our guest, Piera Ford. Uh, So she is going to be on to discuss everything Red Rising, wrap-up, Dark Age, wrap-up, the whole series with us, the whole kit and caboodle, the first time that PJ will be able to talk freely and openly about the whole thing without any secret hidden knowledge or anything like that. So it is going to be a fantastic time, and I am 
very, very excited. Yeah, that's going to be a super, super fun time. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I'm stoked. And of course, making it work across uh, time zones and everything else is, is a whole nother thing. And we're so glad that we can make this work and uh, that Pierre is so is able to do this this show with us. So uh, mm-hmm. very, very, very excited. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew, our producers, for helping us keep our show's lights on. As always, you can check out our links in the show notes. You can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, websites, our socials, all in one convenient spot. If you ever keep track of the schedule, you would have known before anybody that Piera was going to be our guest because that's Uh where we (laughs) put it first. So, yep. We, we typically announce most everything first there. So if you're ever looking for a little sneak peek before we actually shout something out, it's generally on that little scheduler. Yep, exactly. So yeah, again, um, support us on Patreon, check us out and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, our giveaway will also be awarded this upcoming Thursday. Of course, I'm not announcing it on the episode at this point because we haven't actually pulled the drawing, but for the print of Severo as well. So thank you to everyone who entered. Um, we will likely do something for the conclusion of Red Rising or the start of Mistborn. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. 